Hi, my name is Meryl Jones-Williams, and I will be having a conversation with, do you go by, you go by D, right? Yeah. Okay. D Holtzclaw. Did I say it right? Okay. Mm -hmm. For the New York City Trans Oral History Project, in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. And this is being recorded in Dee's home in Astoria, Queens. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah. But, I, but yeah, it was like, you know, you know I, I somehow got involved in the PFLAG stuff, which I, I can go into it a little bit later, but um, I've been facilitating, and, and a lot of things that we get, you know, asked, they want to, you know, want to know how long and things like this. and. It's very beneficial to some of these parents because the Trans Families Project mm -hmm. is uh, it's for parents of trans children mm -hmm. of any age, right? And we break it out and break up rooms. The younger kids go in this room and so on, and there's other divisions and so on. But I, I've been facilitating a breakout room for several years now, and you know, being a trans person in that space, they can ask me questions they wouldn't feel comfortable asking the family member that brings them there. Um, and I, I like to, you know, end it with, you know, reminding them that there's a lot of crappy parents out there in the world and the fact that they're there means they aren't. And they can at least take that away with them. Mm -hmm. that they're, they're not crappy parents. But, um, but yeah, it's just, they always ask, you know, how long have you known? And I knew the earliest memory is that I remember being yelled at for trying to push something inside that didn't belong. Mm -hmm. I just knew it didn't belong, and I, I and I got yelled at. So, you know, you learn pretty quick with the negative reinforcement not to do certain things. Do you remember what age you were at that time? I don't even know if I even knew words yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. It was seemingly prehistory, right? Um, but, uh, and I know my, my, uh, my father, my, my father was an alcoholic and my mother divorced him when I was like maybe two or three, somewhere around in there. Mm -hmm. I, I have very few little snatches of memory prior to that point. And all of my memories of my father, I'm utterly terrified. Uh, and my mom won't go into details, but she said she was pretty sure I was abused. Mm -hmm. So I, who knows, right? I don't know. But... The first time I remember really thinking something was 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 really wrong, and I mean there was little things. I mean I wanted to, you know, play with the dolls and stuff like that, and wasn't allowed. You know, no, you got to do this, you got to do this. No, boys do this, boys do that, boys do the other. Uh, and so I was never allowed to do the things I was kind of trying to gravitate towards. And I would periodically try to uh, try to do something to you know try to fit in, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when I was seven years old, they told us we couldn't use the little individual bathrooms anymore. We had to go to the big kids' rooms and, and like, oh, I did not want to go in there. It was, no, I didn't want to go in there. And I absolutely hated that. Always, my whole life, I felt wrong in the bathroom until, well, to my transition. Mm -hmm. um, and it just was wrong. Every time I went in, I couldn't wait to get the hell back out. <clears throat> I would almost never do anything but urinate because I just couldn't, I just couldn't, just couldn't. It was in and out as quick as possible. Um, and I was always afraid somebody would 
see, be able to tell that I was in the wrong place and, you know, beat up on me or something. Because, I, you know, I, I grew up in the 70s, right? I mean, uh, gay people got rather mistreated uh, mm -hmm. and trans people were unheard of. And I didn't even understand the transness until I was maybe 12, 13, somewhere around in there. And I had been traumatized because the school that the the, uh, the school I went to, Beardsley Junior High. And you grew up. Sorry, can you tell us where you grew up? Oh, well, I grew up. Well, okay, I was born in Chattanooga, <laughs> Tennessee. Okay. Most of my life up in uh, up until I was like ten was in Cleveland, Tennessee, mm -hmm. uh, which is just up up the road from Chattanooga. Okay. Uh, also, world headquarters of the Church of God and Church of God Prophecy. But they make M&Ms and Twix bars there. So, um, and Duracell C&D batteries. But um, we moved to Knoxville, and I was there until I was like, uh, we moved up there maybe 11, and then moved back somewhere around 14. That portrait on the wall of uh -huh. me was done in Knoxville. Wow. That was in our kitchen in Knoxville. A friend of ours, which is a rather renowned artist back in, in Cleveland, Tennessee, he did that as payment for staying at our house for a little while in Knoxville. How old were you when that portrait was uh, painted? I think I was uh, either 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. um, somewhere in there, I think. The date's on it, I could go look. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but anyway, they, they required you to dress out and shower and stuff. And so here I am in this locker room, and I'm trying over in the corner to just kind of change clothes real fast and sneak back out, right? So that Beardsley, you were Beardsley saying? Beardsley Junior High School. Okay. And um, they caught me. The coach caught me doing that, mm. you know. And he directed the other kids, which this was uh, school was like 98% black, so that was a culture shock for me too, being the only white kid in my class, right? Mm -hmm. And they stripped me, forcibly stripped me naked and threw me into this gigantic shower room full of naked boys. And I was just absolutely traumatized. They sent me to counseling, which they didn't know what the heck. And it wasn't, and they exempted me from PE, which was, though know, I sat up there watching the girls play, wishing I could play with them, but it still hadn't really connected until I saw something in the news about um, Christine Jorgens. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not a freak. You know, there's other people like me. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's when I, you know, I, that's when I realized what was going on. I think I told the first person when I was like maybe 15 and, and I said, you know, I should have been a woman. And he's like, oh, it's ridiculous. You're just gay. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure that's not it. So, you know, and um, I, I kept it hidden because it's Tennessee and I didn't have the resources, didn't know who to even ask. And what year was that, if you, do you remember around? Well, we moved, back to t we moved back to Cleveland when I was, well, actually when I was 14, uh, but before I turned 15, because I, yeah. So we moved back then, that was in like 75. Mm -hmm. I guess, and then um, 
And yeah, and they didn't require us to dress out or anything like that. So what I, does dressing out mean? Like, changing clothes and putting mm -hmm. on a specific a sports uniform. uniform. Another thing I hated too was that they, the boys, they would divide them up in shirts versus skins. And I could not, I just could not stand to be picked for skins because then I was out there without my shirt on. And that just felt so wrong. Why would they do that? Well, it's just to divide them up to tell who's on what team. One set of kids has on their shirt and so one set of kids don't. They can do that with the boys. It's Tennessee. Yeah. There's still corporal punishment back then. And you didn't, the, the, the people that admitted they were gay were beaten up all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, uh, Tennessee has had many, many murders of trans people mm -hmm. and there's never been a single even trial because that's considered God's work. If you kill somebody that's trans, oh, you're doing God's work. Nobody's going to convict you in that state. It just, you know, free murder target. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. The great Christian state of Tennessee, that's what the governor calls it now. Yeah. It blows me away that he does that. But, uh, you know, And atheists can't hold public office. Now that's forbidden by the Constitution. There shall, that's the only mention in the Constitution that says that there shall be no religious test to hold public office. Right. Tennessee has one, plainly, on the books. Wow. They also have a specific law targeting transgender people they've had for years that cannot update any documents. I can't get anything reissued in my new name. They won't do it. It's, it's, if someone did it, they committed a crime if they were to update anything. Wow. It's criminalized. And now, everything's criminalized. Being LGBT is criminalized. They, uh, they got an injunction against the don't say gay and the pride ban, but it's still, you know, I said I can't vote. Yeah. So I'm certainly not gonna move back there. So anyway, so I- Did you I, have a religious upbringing as well? Yeah, Baptist, Southern Baptist. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> something about it, it, it my, my favorite religious joke and it's it's three parts it's it's a it's the uh jews do not recognize uh jesus as the messiah uh protestants do not recognize the pope as the leader of christian faith and then the third one is southern baptists do not recognize each other in a liquor store <laughs> okay and it's true because when i was a kid my mom drugged me in the liquor store with her once and i saw somebody from the church and i went up to hey and like i don't know you kid and i'm like i went over to my mom I'm like oh no you don't approach anybody in here and i'm like what that was my first real taste of the hypocrisy. So that's why I like to joke, because it's true. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you know, it's just... Uh, but yeah, I was raised Southern Baptist, and they are remarkably unforgiving for a forgiving church. Um, they, uh, I mean, I used to, back when I was in high school, they were... That was during the Iranian crisis and stuff, and they were talking about, you know, that was the Antichrist over there. It was the Antichrist of the week, pretty much. Uh, I think probably still is, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so uh, it's 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 crazy down there. I mean, you've heard of the Scopes trial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's real close to where I lived. Okay. You've heard of the Trail of Tears? Uh huh. Yeah. Red Clay, 
I haven't heard of Red Clay. Red Clay is the origin point for the Trail of Tears. Okay. That's where they gathered everybody up. That's where they had the last council meeting in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And that's in my home county. So there's lots of really nasty things to minorities being done in that area and has been since its inception, pretty much. Um, do you continue to, do you go back to Tennessee ever? I'm going back Friday. Okay. I have helped run a science fiction convention in Chattanooga for over 30 years called Chattacon. Mm -hmm. And I can't be on the board of directors anymore because I've reached my term limit. <laughs> so, I mean, I can run again, but I have to off next year, right? So, um, and so I have to leave the board of trustees, but I'm chair this mm -hmm. year simply because they found out I had never been chair before. <laughs> It stuck me with it, so, and I haven't been able to get any meetings organized because nobody's like herding cats. But, but yeah, I'll be down there in person for the convention, which is not this next weekend, but the weekend after next MLK weekend. Mm -hmm. um, and and we had fantastic guests. We had Terry Pratchett as our guest one one year, and he, he was fantastic. I mean, it, so I'm 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 really looking forward to doing that and. There's pockets of stuff. I mean, I know lots of people in, in, in Chattanooga. I, I, you know, I've been to the gay bars down there many, many, many times. And, but, you know, it's just the, as long as you're staying in the metropolitan areas and certain areas, even Cleveland being the headquarters of the Church of God and stuff, mm -hmm. still there's a lot of industry there. It's like Whirlpool has a gigantic factory. It's probably visible from space. It's so big. And um, they make all the stoves, you know, any of the Magic Chef, Maytag, KitchenAid, the ranges and stuff, they're all made there. Um, and uh, I have friends that work in the plant, actually. Wow. So, uh, and friends that used to work in the M&M plant, which is, let me tell you, Twix fresh that day or something else. <laughs> I love Twix. <laughs> and fresh is just another level, let me tell you. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Shanetta used to work there, it was like, hey, <laughs> hey, Netta, you gonna bring us up? <laughs> yeah. So you have a, you still have a relationship with Tennessee. You go back. Oh yeah, and, and well, I was gonna kind of get to that. I mean, I had, uh, well, I mean, I, in in high schools when I discovered programming, mm. uh, I was into electronics because my grandfather was a ham radio operator and typographer and stuff and. Um, he like ran radar during World War II and stuff. So, but uh, so it interested me that, and I got then found digital electronics and 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 that sort of thing, and then discovered programming one day, and I found it just so absurdly easy, and it's apparently not so easy for everybody else, which is good because they pay me well, right? So, um, it just so happened I found what I was really good at it, you know, and um, I. Uh, I went, bounced around, I ended up getting caught in the transition between quarter versus semester and my my credits got screwed up mm -hmm. and I was going to have to repeat almost every class I'd taken. I was like, you know, bye. And I, I dropped out. Mm -hmm. So here I am now, senior engineer at Bloomberg on a two-year associate's degree in math. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. But I have... 50 years of experience, right? Mm -hmm. And I've, I've even designed my own programming languages and stuff and written compilers for them and stuff like that. And, you know, that's why the team I'm in now is, is really uses my skill set pretty well because I can jump into any language 
uh, and get by. I mean, they was like, oh, we need you to modify this Pearl code. And I'm like, I haven't touched Pearl in over 10 years. And I went in and <laughs> fixed a bunch of crap. So, you know. Do you um, feel like your ability to program was like, was really helpful in being trans and always being able to work? Or like, are you able to Well, I kept it all less... under wraps. I mean, okay. nobody knew. I mean, it wasn't I... from home. It was like, you had to go in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I, I pretended to be male for most of my life. Um, I, uh, I mean, because I didn't, I said, no resources in Tennessee. I worked for this little bitty company called Pest Control Data Systems, mm -hmm. sold software to pest control companies. And we were number one in market share and all over the place. And I started that right after high school, got, got involved in it, uh, along with a friend of mine who went on to other things. Uh, and I designed the whole thing. It was a full accounting system. And I mean, it was about two and a half million lines of code. Um, and when it was, you know, all said and done and, um, wow. lots of stuff over 30 years worth of development and stuff that went into that. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and I was happy doing it, but I worked for, for a really a bunch of jerks and they started cutting my pay and cutting my pay and cutting my pay. And I wouldn't have dared admit I was trans to them because... And they were just cutting your pay because... Because they could. That's really what it boiled down it to. It wasn't about you told me I was trans. a shitty employee. No, it was an economic downturn. They, they, no, I still had it all in. My, I got married, and, and it was difficult for me. And I've, I've, I finally admitted that I was trans. How old were you when you first got married? Twenty uh, four. Okay. And then got divorced at twenty six. <laughs> I admitted I was trans, and uh, mm -hmm. that ended that. And I came out to all my friends and then talked to my mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, my, uh, my mom lit into me with God created you this way for a reason speech and all that. And so I kind of went back in the closet and, you know, I, I ended up getting married again. And, you know, people ask, well, what did you do? I, I got married and had two kids. That's what I did. <laughs> And I told her I was upfront, honest with her, um, mm -hmm. but you know she's not taking it very well because she thought I'd kind of gotten over it. Mm -hmm. I guess we've been married for thirty-five years. Uh, as of still married or yeah. Yep. Um, she lives back in Tennessee. She moved back there um, at uh, was it February of twenty-two. Okay. And uh, then I moved to this you know, apartment here. Mm -hmm. um, but she moved back because her mom was not long for this world and, and, and did pass a few months later. Mm -hmm. So it was a good thing for her to spend the last few months of her mom's life with her and yeah. stuff like that. All her friends were down there. She didn't make new friends up here like I did. She wouldn't get out and about to do it mm -hmm. and just, you know, didn't have an interest in trying to get involved in stuff. And so she wanted to be back where she had friends support and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're still married, but we are definitely separated, uh, you know, in more ways than one. Yeah. Uh, but we maintain households. I'll be staying there with her when I'm in Tennessee on this trip. How does she feel now about you being trans, like it being She's so out, you know? okay as far as she doesn't like the fact and she still thinks she's still in... 
She slips up and uses the proper pronouns some these days, and it irritates her every time she does, and I grin every time she does, but, um, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, but you know, we stayed together mostly, you know, for financial reasons, because um, the kids could care less. Actually, the kids want me to get divorced. <laughs> Uh, my daughter is actually estranged from my wife and will not speak to her. And it wasn't the transition was just kind of the last little straw, but it, it had been building for a long time. There's a lot of resentment there because my daughter was born with perfect pitch. You can just name a note and she can sing it. And she doesn't like music and doesn't like to perform. And my wife cannot forgive her for not becoming this, you know, international music star. Because she wanted to be the mother of an international music star. And she blames Beth for that not happening. But, you know, but Beth is happy with what she's doing now. She's actually getting, working on her MBA. <laughs> you know, so. All right. <laughs> and uh, she just got her BSSW and uh, uh, graduated cum laude. So, or magna cum laude, actually. So, um. How has that been, like, do you feel like your experience has, like, shaped your parenting in, like, a, a totally opposite way to... Well, my biggest fear was that one of my kids might be trans and me not recognize it because I, I couldn't stand for, you know, my own child to suffer like I had suffered, yeah. you know. I mean, I'd put it off. I mean, you make deals with yourself and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, I won't do it until this. I won't do it till that. And... And uh, one of the deals was, oh, I'll wait just, you know, until the kids are out of school, right? Um, I moved up here when my son was still in high school. He was finishing his senior year. And after I moved up here, I was like, I might be able to actually do this. But I still didn't pursue it yet because I was kind of hanging on to because my grandmother was still alive. And I, you know, I'm not, not you know, while I don't want to upset her or anything. Um, she lived in 99. <laughs> and, you know, it took a while. <laughs> so when she passed, I was in a real quandary because at that point I realized that I didn't have a, a reason to not do it anymore. And I knew that if I didn't, I didn't do it because of my wife. If I even discussed it, I was pretty sure if I discussed it with her, she would have said, no, you can't do it. Right? Um, and so I, I didn't give her that chance. I just went ahead and made the decision on my own and started it because mm -hmm. I knew that if we had gotten into that argument, I would have resented her for the rest of her life, and I, I didn't want to go down that road. I didn't want to end up resenting her for that. So I took the opportunity of that resentment away, which she still hasn't forgiven me for, um, and she still says it should have been her choice to make because her argument is it affects her, therefore it's her decision all alone. She is supremely selfish. Uh, doesn't see it that way, mm -hmm. but but yeah, she is supremely selfish. It's all you know. She was very upset because how it reflected on her, because her husband transitioned, right? Uh, and yeah, uh, it was all in 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 terms of her, and it's unfortunate. But I did make a vow to support her and take care of her and stuff and she has had some self some health issues so that's why we're still married is because I'm in I have really killer health insurance I mean really killer my bottom surgery hundred dollars out of pocket
facial surgery, $100 <laughs> out of pocket. That's amazing. Haven't paid a dime for any MRI or CT scan I've ever had. No. So, yeah, <laughs> killer insurance. Um, but so I, you know, I, I try to do that. But yeah, it, that was in 2018. We had gone to, it was a group at work, Be, Be Proud as our internal LGBT employee resource group. Uh, it's everything has a B in front of it because it's Bloomberg. It has to have a B in front of it. So we got B proud, and we had gone to a play preview at the Rattlestick Playhouse mm -hmm. uh, on 420 of of 2018. Yeah, um, Eric was like, "We gotta get home to celebrate." Like um, anyway, <laughs> so went to the went to that, and we we watched. Uh, you know, watched the play, and what it attracted me to it was, besides the fact that the entire cast was all LGBT, mm. was that the two main female leads were played by two trans women. And so afterwards, and see, I'm in the closet completely at work, right, at this point. I'm just an ally, right, with the community. In 2018. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so far, that day, <laughs> we, we end up over at Stonewall Inn, which is just down the street, right? I'd never been before. And I got a Long Island iced tea because we used to, back in the day, get pictures of Long Island iced tea when we, you know, at the gay bar down in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a traditional thing. I have to have one. And so I finished that, and our co-lead for the ERG, uh, one of the co-leads, both of them were there, and uh, Alex, she goes, you can't leave yet. Here, let me buy you another drink. So she insists on buying me another Long Island iced tea. So I'm <laughs> sitting there about two-thirds of the way through it or thereabouts, and she abruptly turns to me and says, so why did you pick tonight to come to one of these things? And I just spilled my guts right there. And it wasn't until the next day, you know, Saturday, I'm sitting uh, that morning, I'm like, can I just spill it to everybody from work at the, at the Stonewall Inn? Did I really just come out at the Stonewall Inn? How did that make you feel? Pretty cool, actually. The Monday, I was added to some chats I didn't know existed at the office. We've got an internal uh, Be Proud parlor, which is the the LBT, you know, not the G. <laughs> it's the lesbian chat, right? <laughs> lesbian and bi chat. Uh, and then we had the TNG chat created, which is a trans and non-binary chat, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm one of the principal members of that, of, you know. And, and things along those lines. We got a sizable number of, of trans people at work. Had, there's two that sit just one row over from me right now. They're going to move us around the end of the month, and they probably won't be next to me again, but you know, it's it, it just so happened when they rearranged the chairs on the on the floor, they just happened to be one row over from me. Are they out as well? Oh yeah. Okay. One of them's a manager, has been a manager now for almost eighteen months, okay. doing great too. Uh, she's great. she's worked very hard for that. I I remember when she started at Bloomberg because the day that I. Uh, find this. The day that I actually, will you please, favorites, yeah, the day that I was officially out at the office, so that's the day when it was announced at the office. Wow. And I went home, changed clothes, 
and went back out wearing a dress for, in public for the very first time. Went to um, uh, Henrietta Hudson's for a little thing there, with open finance and things. But that's Alex Nicolosi, the one that that asked me the fateful question at Stonewall that night. Mm. And that is Aria, who is a manager now. That was She'd just been with Bloomberg a few months at that point. Wow. And, uh, and yeah. And Stella is now at, um, um, Alex quit and went to work during the pandemic for Salesforce. And um, uh, anyway, uh, Stella is, Stella Campaner is uh, at City, uh, part of their big DNI something or other. So, but but yeah. So um, it, it sounds like it was really celebratory and ended up being very positive. Oh yeah, and uh, you know it was just. Well, I mean, for me, it was just like okay, now it's time to pull the trigger, right? Yeah. And um, so that that following Monday we chatting with everybody and you know getting to meet a few other people and mm -hmm. uh, I would they put me in t contact with um, uh, Judy Sinesh uh, or Judith is actually the yeah call her Judy so uh, Judy was I didn't know this at the time but she was uh, the chair of <laughs> of P flag NYC no and she's <laughs> the one that started the trans families meetings and so she just gave me some links and stuff and and suggested that I reach out to Callan Lord and told me to call and that sort of thing and I went and got my hormones and started on my journey um, and then she was like why don't you come to one of our meetings and that's how I got sucked into people like <laughs> so you know um, Had you been part of trans communities before that, or LGBT? No. Well, I mean, there is a thing on Second Life, if you've heard of Second Life. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I have a persona there. I've had it for uh, 16 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a, a organization inside there called TRC, Transgender Resource Center. Okay. And they have uh, weekly meetings. And I haven't participated in one in several months, and, and have been many more months before that one because it just it's an inconvenient time it's at 2 p.m. on Sunday and we're almost always my son and I are off doing something or you know something uh, on Sunday and uh, so it's just hard to, to 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 be here at that time but uh, but yeah I've, I've been involved in that <coughs> on again off again for that whole 16 years and up until I actually was fully out at the office, I was always nervous about it because you have that, you know, am I trans enough? Because I haven't taken hormones yet. Am I haven't been, I never dressed. I never wore anything yeah. uh, female at all uh, after, I, well, after I got married uh, because I had a few things just like, you know, some panties or some stuff like that, but nothing I actually went out and about right. in. Because... The clothes weren't it. It was feeling physically okay. That was what mattered. It's like I pushed for my bottom surgery as quick as I could. I got 13 months to the day after starting my uh, HRT because I just pushed hard for it. Yeah. And they're like, you know, I was <laughs> 57 years old. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like I'd had plenty of time to think about it, right? Two adult children, you know, the, all their normal things they worry about, they like, yeah, we don't have to worry too much. You, you 
thought this through, haven't you? Even the psychiatric, the guy says, so it's just time. I said, yeah, it's just time to go ahead and get this done. And that was that. Yeah. You know, that was the only psychiatric thing I had, was just those two visits for setting that up and getting the letters. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and of course now i got an endocrinologist and PCP and all the rest of that stuff. But yeah, um, but yeah I mean, it's just, you know, it, did you have anyone, like, it sounds like growing up in Tennessee, like it was a place where you didn't always feel safe to be out, so oh, no, 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 you no. had to learn this like double identity thing. Um, what is your relationship to that? Like, how did you, did you have anyone that you felt seen by? Even oh, though? I never, never, I mean, even when I was out to my friends and told them all about it, I still did not publicly dress, wear makeup, anything. I still don't do makeup just because you know the clothes I didn't it didn't the presentation didn't matter to me what mattered to me is how I felt I was physically wrong and that's what drove me nuts right yeah. and so as I've gotten those things fixed you know yeah. it's and I feel so much better now I just oh, what I wear is because it's what fits right <laughs> That and you know dresses are awful comfortable when it's really freaking hot outside, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, take advantage of that. But um, and so uh, that experience was like quite a relief to, oh, yeah, to yeah. finally transition and the bathroom so anticlimactic. It's crazy. You know, it, now it's just a place to go, just like home. Yeah. You know, it, I, I, all the anxiety and angst and everything just like poof okay now I'm no longer in the wrong place mm -hmm. and it's just it is it, so wonderful <laughs> another thing is I tell people is that it occupied my thoughts all day every day yeah. all of my life and now that's gone now I got room to think of other stuff you know mm -hmm. I don't have that bugging me all day did you have any how did you go how did you like survive that like did you have any hobbies or practices that helped you self-soothe or how did you handle that heavy weight i, I so honestly don't know i mean i i guess it's the same way i handle this pain issue i just put one foot in front of the other and force my way through it mm. you know it's just I mean, I got a really strong will when it comes to that sort of thing. Well, case in point, when I first started HRT, there I, I smoked cigarettes. Two and a half packs a day. So you Since I started at 14 years old, Oof. right? Yeah. So, yeah, I just changed smoking constantly. And they told me, well, you can't do that. You know, we can't have any nicotine in your system and do this. I, up until that point, I didn't know that nicotine was an estrogen agonist. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there was a nasty chemical reaction in the blood, you know. But when they showed me all the literature, I had always told people that, you know, if I had a good enough reason, I'd quit. And it seemed like a pretty damn good reason, right? Yeah. So I had to kind of put my money where my mouth was, mm -hmm. and and I just, I, I pushed through it. And I just, you know, I... I I guess about a week and a half or so afterwards, and my son had done it uh, earlier than that. He had just called turkey quit, wow. and uh, I'm like, fine, I just won't have one today. 
and I didn't have one that day. And the next day when I got up, I thought, well, I'm not going to have one today either. And that's basically been how it's been. And just force my way through it. I can make it through this day. Now I don't think about it anymore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, every now and again it'll hit me out of the corner. I'll see somebody smoking after something or other. I'll go, oh, I bet that would taste good. And I, but nah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, you know, basically. That's over there. Stuff. Yeah, it's like, eh, you know. Mm -hmm. And I never thought, I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd actually be saying that. You know, I was a militant smoker. <laughs> I would tell people at the office I was going outside to be socially unacceptable. <laughs> And actually, in the between the time of the the photo and stuff, when I I told HR and they knew it was coming, but before it was official, yeah. I'd quit smoking and I'd go by the group of smokers outside and you know, hey, how y'all doing? And um, and one of them was looking at me and he, he looks at me and says, "Are you getting younger?" Because <laughs> the effects <laughs> of the HRT, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, "Yes, yes, you guessed it. I'm getting younger." <laughs> It sounds great. I mean, yeah, it was it was all right. I mean, I'm I'm so lucky. I mean, you know, to have the fantastic health coverage that made it possible, yeah. you know, and 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 everything else. I mean, taking this job really, it, you know, it saved my life basically. Uh, I I freaking love New York City. I I love when living here. When did you move to New York City? Or you said when you lived, but 2012. 2012, right. I came up to work a short-term contract. Uh -huh. My intention was to just get Bloomberg on my resume. That was all I was after. And so I came up on Labor Day, actually. Uh, and I uh, had some friends that I stayed with. I had never met her before, but I had heard about her for 30-something years, a friend of mine down in Chattanooga that I met, well, playing D&D &D in college, right? <laughs> and, he used to tell me of his big sister that lived in the city, and I just hadn't met her. Mm -hmm. um, so we hit it off uh, immediately, got along just fantastic, even though that was the old me, you know, but we, we got along fantastic. And, um, and I met her husband and, and her two kids, uh, uh, AJ. AJ is one year younger than Eric, and then their youngest, Grace, is like... Uh, and I was like one year younger. No, I like two or three years younger than, than AJ. So, as it came out, then you know we kept in contact and kind of, you know, uh, uh, exchange Christmas cards, text messages every so often, kind of thing. You know, nice. very casual. You know, uh, friends. And um, it just so happened in 2018 after I'd announced all this stuff and was out publicly. One of the open finance things was up on the Upper West Side at some grand opening of a boxers up there. So I went up there for that to represent Bloomberg until John Tilly got there from Deutsche Bank. And then um, we, uh, I called them and said, hey, you do anything? Because I wanted to tell them about my transition. So I go and, and uh, uh, sit down and, uh, you know, because they, they just had a friend in. So, no. so I'm sitting there talking with her and and uh, going through the whole spiel, and she just kind of sits there nodding along as I go through it all and reach the end and peter off, and she goes, oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, have you heard about Alice? I'm like, what? Who the fuck is Alice? He goes, oh, you knew her as AJ. I'm like, 
What? Her eldest is trans. Oh. And I mean, it's like my favorite small world story. Oh, so nice. You yeah. know, and so, you know, we, we get together every so often for brunch and stuff. That sounds so nice. And, uh, and, and, and Grace has uh, come out as lesbian, too. So. Amazing. You're in good company. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> it makes sense. It's yeah. Like you gelled. But, yeah, they're, they're great. And, and I still, you know, her, her brother back mm -hmm. in Tennessee, last trip I was down, I managed to rendezvous with him. Oh. <laughs> so it, got to catch up with him and his wife. And Yeah, it's like there's this connection between, like, the two places and... Mm -hmm. How do you feel, like, how has it been living in New York City, and does it, how does it, I mean, it's kind of obvious in ways that it differs. Well, I love well, it. I mean, you know, when yeah. they asked me in 2013 if I wanted to take a full-time position, you know, and, yeah, you know, so, you know, by yeah. that summer, I had accepted it, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, moved up here pretty much permanently, so, and we eventually sold our house. We had a large house back mm -hmm. there it's on eight acres of land out in the, out in the county. Mm -hmm. Just far enough out you couldn't get pizza delivered. Kid you not. I actually got <laughs> I just got chased home by a police officer one night coming back with pizza, but that's another story. You can tell it if you <laughs> want to. <laughs> it is uh, well I had emergency tags on my car. Okay. Because I have a ham radio or had a ham radio license. And Tennessee get the ham radio tags, the emergency on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Because in the event of an emergency you are required to provide emergency communication services in the event, you know, everything, infrastructure is dead, right? Um, and, you know, fortunately never had to do any of that kind of thing, but I was, had those tags on my car, so I was whizzing down through there with the pizza smelling in the car, and, and I came around a corner, and I normally kind of hit the brakes there because you never know if somebody's going to pull out of the parking lot in front of you, so you have to be ready to break if you have to. And I saw police officers coming out with arms of groceries, and he saw me. And of course, pretty obvious I was. It have to be pretty obvious I was speeding, given that when I glanced down at my speedometer after slightly braking, it was still uh, I think it was 62 miles an hour. What was it supposed to be? 45. <laughs> and I, I heck with it. I hit the pedal, zinged around the corner, and. You know, hit the straightaway, punched it, was back up to like 65 or 70 on the straightaway before turning down my road. And right before I turn on my road in my rearview mirror, I see him coming around that curve sideways no. with the lights on. I'm like, <sighs> so I turned on my road. And um, I got on up the other turn, and, and then suddenly I see the lights behind me. And I'm like, oh, boy. So he catches up with me right as I pull into my driveway. So I pulled in my driveway, and I don't know why I did it, but I walked over and leaned in his window when my friend went running inside to the pizza. Uh, and I said, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> and he said, you realize you were going 62 back there? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> but what are you going to say, right? He said, well, um, if I'd known you had emergency tags, I wouldn't have bothered you. Have a nice night. And he pulled off and left. Wow. And I went inside and I realized that my attitude that I had was the attitude of somebody that would just get the ticket fixed. Mm. Right, you know. And I wasn't trying to play it that way. It's just that that's how it happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I cannot believe I managed to get out of that. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, 
no idea, but those tags got me out of some trouble in the in the in the national forest too. <laughs> it's like, oh, you got the amateur radio mm. tags. Have a nice night. And mm. Do you feel like you did you ever have any other experiences with police officers? Like, did you have a reason to? Well, I mean, I was here totally then? in the closet back then, and yeah. nobody nobody knew. Yeah, I was worried a little bit when we made a trip down right during the start of my transition. It was before my surgery. Mm -hmm. And Just, sorry to chime in, but we we were white Caucasian in a predominantly um, yeah yeah redneck area, so no, we were never harassed by the cops. I understand. Ever. I've gotten out of a speeding ticket going seventy and forty five mm -hmm. over seven. Let me see. Yeah. It's uh, there's a, a saying that I remember that used used to be used a lot when I was a kid. DW, you know, what did they get arrested for? Uh, you know, people with darker skin color, like oh, DWB, driving while black. Mm. Because it's it's it really the, the laws are yeah. horrendous down there. It's like here, you know, this is legal, right? The, the, right. And yeah. and um, down there, they're like double and triple down in it. Yeah. Uh, possession of one seed is sends you away. But light skin doesn't ever get that. It's just darker the skin, the more likely you get incarcerated. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. And I and I hate that. And I'm 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 so fortunate. I, I mean I didn't think so at the time, but I'm so fortunate for those two years up in Knoxville in that predominantly back black neighborhood to let me experience what it felt like to be the minority, because it really—I mean that—that that was that, that really made a lot of difference in my outlook, and I, I realized that, uh, you know, and that's another thing I love about in New York City. I, I people I work with at work are from all over the freaking place. Uh, my previous manager, well, let's see the. The very first manager that I had was from India, then the next one was from Pakistan, the next one um, uh, was also from India, uh, the next one was from Brazil, and now the current one is uh, originally from Hungary. And, you know, he transferred over. And Hungary, Hungarian, doesn't have gendered pronouns. What do they have? It is just basically they. There is no he or she. The same oh. thing is true in um, uh, Finland, Finnish. Because somebody in one of those TRC meetings in Second Life was like, I can't handle these other pronouns that I'm barely cope with he and she. And we're like, what? Wow. And they say, my language doesn't have that. There's no gender at all. I did not know that. I, well, I didn't either until then. And then I was talking about Finland when my manager goes, yeah, I have the same problem because I'm from Hungary. And I'm like, what? Because I didn't know Hungarian was mm. that way either. Mm. So, you know, um, wouldn't that be wonderful if we didn't have... Yeah. Do you feel like that, in, did they talk about, did that inform them growing up or anything? Or just like not having gender pronouns? Like, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know... Uh, I mean, he definitely doesn't have any problem with me being trans. I got a trans flag and a and a pride flag on my desk at the office. I mean, you know, I said there's two, you know. Um, of course, I'm. Somebody said, "Well, you're in," <laughs> said, "You're in the Dev X group. That's the the LGBT mm -hmm. mecca." <laughs> I'm like, 
the DevX group is the people that are the real, the really hardcore engineers of the company. Mm -hmm. They deal with all the infrastructure and the internal underpinnings of everything. Mm -hmm. it, you know, and that's the, the, and there is something about the neurodiversity and stuff like that. I, I've never been diagnosed, but you see those little lists, you know, the, the things for like um, dyspraxia and stuff like that. I can go down and check every one of those darn boxes. Mm -hmm. But I didn't scream for that when I was a kid. No, right. You know, and I just learned how to cope. Yeah. I mean, I'm dyslexic. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I like to say, oh, I'm less dexic. <laughs> but, you know, it, you just learn to cope with it as best you can. Do you feel like, at what point did you realize that you were, it, did it take time to realize that you were dyslexic? Like... Was it just well, later in life that you were like, oh. Well, later in life when I heard the term and I realized, oh, yeah, I've had that problem. Yeah. You know, I mean, I hadn't even heard about dyspraxia before. Somebody gave me a, you know, a, a link to it and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I can check every one of those boxes too. So, I and I, a lot of the trans people I've met are definitely in, you know, in a neuro, neurodiverse mm -hmm. Um but the really good engineers at the company are neurodiverse. Yeah. I, I don't know why that way the brain works makes us really good at doing those kinds of things. But it just kind of comes naturally. You know, I almost think in code. And it's, you know, it, yeah. it took me years to, to realize that not everybody, you know, it wasn't that easy for everybody. And I still can't understand why it is that <laughs> easy for, you know, because it just, you know, you don't have a frame of reference. Yeah, it's your experience, so. Yeah. My own experience is, you know, that's another thing while I talk about the diversity and stuff, and, you know, the company and, and, and elsewise, is especially like foreign language, you know, other languages, you know, you think in the language you grew up in because that's how your thoughts are processed. Right. You think in those words. And therefore, you have no choice but to think differently than somebody that has a different language as their basis. Can't help it. It's going to be different. And how am I going to have that perspective unless they tell me? How are they going to have my perspective unless I tell them? So it takes all those different perspectives, especially in a global company, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know... Yeah. The, the smart global companies <laughs> take these things into account. Mm -hmm. It's what makes them strong. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, but I, I do a lot of interviewing for the company and stuff like that. I, I, uh, this year they sent me to UPR, uh, University of Puerto Rico, to do an accelerator program with some students there. And then we went to SHIP, the Society for Hispanic Professional Engineers, and mm -hmm. uh, Salt Lake. Flew me over there to do a bunch of interviews over there, and and we had a little um, discovery day thing at the office, and I uh, I was off that day on vacation, but I stopped by because I was in town for a doctor's appointment, mm -hmm. and I saw th uh, three people in there in that group that I had interviewed, <laughs> like, yay, yes, that hi. accepted offer offers, you know, now are engineers Aww. at Bloomberg, so. And I've had several that have come up and given me hugs at my desk before that, that I had interviewed. That. That's really sweet. So, well, I, I try to keep my interviews as lighthearted as possible. I try to yeah. make it feel loose and informal as much as I can. 
because the more relaxed they are, the better read I can get on them. Yeah. If they're too uptight, I can't tell. They may be excellent engineers and they're too uptight to show it to me, right? And so I, I, I want them to be as relaxed as possible because I can get a good, good feel of what they can do. Yeah, totally. So I've uh, actually had the, I got paired up with this, the senior interviewer that had trained me however long ago it oh was. Oh my God. And, so, <laughs> and uh, so we did several interviews together and he's like, you don't need any more training. You're good. Here, teach these. <laughs> Put me with some juniors. So that's kind of neat. That is really neat. It's sort of non sequitur, but I guess, like, do you feel like because of your experience of being trans, there's ever been anyone along the way that you've been able to see them that, and they haven't seen themselves, but you've been able to help them in some way? Well, I mean, I have been since my you know, since my transition and, you know, being fully out at work. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I don't make any secret of it. it, it, it now it's just, It yeah. just, you know, everybody knows, nobody cares, right? Right. It's, it's it, you do your job, you do it well, that's all I care, right? It's, which is as it should be, but that's how it is. So, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, you'll run into an individual person here or there that might be a little bit of, you know, but fortunately those are the exception. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank goodness. Or but maybe your experience, you could talk about, you were but, telling me about going into schools. Well, I'm having people, well, I haven't done that yet. I've you been trained that for yet. it. Okay. But I have not, because of this issue, getting there, that none of them have been convenient enough for me to be able to make it to mm. so far. Mm. I keep hoping there'll be one I can get into that, that I can make it to. Um, and what and what would but that say be? at work? Yeah, I've had several people have reached out. I've given advice to several different people. Someone that was uh, part of the geek community back in Chattanooga decided to transition, and mm -hmm. she reached out and she actually came up and stayed with us for a couple of days. Um, um, her her daughter was graduating uh, or just graduated here. Uh, was also going to school here in town, which was kind of wow. neat. Um, do you feel like there are trans like communities in Tennessee that are just kind of under wraps and not really not? I, I know I don't know of a safe few. To talk about yeah. There's uh, while we're down there, we're going to go up and visit a, a friend of ours that or friends of ours that are in the northeastern uh, section of the the state. Uh huh. Uh, they call it the Tri Cities area, but it's um, up around. Uh, where Bristol, Tennessee, and mm -hmm. Virginia is, and Johnson City, and all that. Well, my father's family is actually from that area, Roan Mountain, Tennessee. My, my grandmother cooked on a wood stove till the day she died, a stone's throw away from the Appalachian Trail. And my friends from their house can be to the Appalachian Trail in less than five minutes. They're that, they're that close. Is that the same grandmother, or that's a different grandmother than the one that you said passed when she was 99? Yeah, she, uh, this grandmother lived in 93. She cooked okay. on a wood stove and, to 93. <laughs> and you still knew her? Um, and did you still, were you still in contact with her, even though you were not in relationship with your father? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still that's kept nice. in contact with them. Um, and I, uh, I went back up there for my grandfather's funeral. I went there for my father's funeral. And I went there for my mm -hmm. grandmother's funeral. They didn't inform me of my aunt's funeral, so I didn't get an opportunity to go. But Sorry I, to interrupt you. I have a half-sister, but I haven't seen her in many, many years. Mm -hmm. She, um, long before I revealed that I was trans, I revealed that I was an atheist. 
and that was non-starter. She dumped me. She's like, she could not have anything to do with me because I was not part of her sect. Did you grow up together, like in the same house? No. Okay. No. No, the last time I saw her was when uh, my daughter was in a uh, infant carrier. I guess she was probably like one year old or something like that. And um, my sister was, my half-sister was uh, in college in Boone, North Carolina, Appalachian State there. Yeah. And uh, that's where she met her husband and joined this religious cult thing. And they've been over in the Middle East trying to teach Christianity in areas that would get them executed for it. And because they are, and they are about as fundamentalist, we're talking, you know, yeah. snake handling and that kind of fundamentalist. But that's very common up there in the mountains. They're, they're a little bit, yeah. Anyway, so we're going to go up there. That's also where the Tennessee Transgender Health Clinic is. Uh, uh, with the university up there, uh, East Tennessee State University, ETSU mm -hmm. in Johnson City. That's where their transgender clinic is. And one of the people that we're going to go visit uh, is a trans woman that we know up in the area. Nice. And my friend used to work with, and they you know, ran into it and was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really nice. I mean, it probably is um, really good to find trans community in such a state. I mean, from everything that you've been and talking I've about. I've met some trans people in the Chattanooga area as well. Yeah. Uh, I do not know whether I get the chance to run into them or not, but, mm -hmm. but yeah. And another uh, friend that I knew from uh, uh, from back in my college days at, at University of Tennessee Chattanooga uh, came out to me when I was down there for a previous Chattacon several years ago, mm -hmm. uh, and our guest of honor that year was M.D. Cooper. Who's M.D. Cooper? Mallory Cooper. She is a trans author in oh. uh, Massachusetts, near Boston area. What did she write? Uh, the, um, uh, oh, she's like written over like 180 books so oh, far. Check her Extremely out. prolific. She's the Aeon 14 series. Um, uh. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> right here. <laughs> yep. <coughs> oh, wow. She was great. We, we, uh, we sat and chatted all night long and went and had breakfast when the uh, hotel restaurant opened <laughs> and both went our uh, respective directions to crash just in time to get up for her panel on Sunday morning. But it... Uh, yeah, uh, it was great chatting with her. Everybody that was around us ended up with COVID, oh, including man. her, and I didn't somehow. Hmm. I never got it. You have never had I COVID I have never general? tested positive once, not even once. Best of my knowledge, I've not had it. Hmm. Uh, I do, and it, well, my last booster was like 13 months ago, so I'm due a booster. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I've, we, Bloomberg was testing us every week. Wow. And a thing up the nose, every single week. And You're lucky. I, yeah, I don't know how. One of my teammates has had it like six, seven times. And, and she's immunocompromised though, but she, mm. it's still just, and it, it wrecks her every time she gets it. And she's like, oh God, I got it again. <laughs> her sons have given her two or twice, the last oh, two no. times. 
They're, uh, I think they're both at Cornell now. Well, actually, they're both under her foot right now because they're here for the holidays. Mm-hmm. But, but I think they both go to Cornell. Yeah, she's great. Uh, uh, her to death. Sure no. is. <laughs> I'm just going to look at my questions because you've answered a lot of them. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like... I'll actually tell people, at, at, you know, when they ask about it in the trans families group, I said you have to understand, first off, the, the hardest person to come out to is yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and said, you know, if you're worried about your kid suddenly making this decision to mutilate themselves, they've had lots of time to think about it and rest assured that this is the very last thing this is their last resort because nobody wants to go through this sort of thing. Yeah. You want anything else but. But the ultimate desire of any trans person is to get transition and just live their life like they're supposed to. They'll just drift, disappear into the background because that's, they just want to live. Right. They just want to be a regular person. Just want to be a regular person and not feel wrong. That's yeah. it. Can you tell, talk more about that, just like your own experience of... Oh, I mean, it's the feeling of wrong, you know, as I said before. Yeah. Um, and I actually got that uh, the psychiatric, when I went back, I had to admit that when we were down on the trip, I took male clothes because we were going for a funeral in Georgia. In rural Georgia, yeah. south of Atlanta, right? And it was safer that way to just pretend to still be male because I couldn't fully pass you know nowadays I what was that experience like were you like in male drag sort of basically yeah it felt weird as hell Mm. it really felt weird of course once we were back in town and not down there you know when we weren't actually traveling traveling I just you know wore normal attire and it's like my my wife it kind of irritated her I think which I, I chuckled, but and she smacked at me. But we'd gone and sat down, and and the waitress comes up and says, "What can I get you two ladies?" <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so, but you know, it, um, yeah, it, it's the the wrongness feel. I mean, I, it, somebody that's not trans can't understand it, right? And and it's like. Uh, and I can appreciate their horrors. Like I have never met any uh, non-trans person that wasn't just absolutely horrified at getting, uh, you know, something cut off. Right? Uh, the, you know, uh, women. It's you know the breasts. And, yeah. You know, men. It's that. And and um, and now that I have breasts. I would be horrified, like, you know, if somebody, my teammate, the uh, sheriff's talking about, she had, she's a breast cancer survivor, mm-hmm. and she's had to have a double mastectomy and reconstruction work, and I'm like, and that would just, just thoughts of that just would just, uh, gives me the heebie-jeebies. So I can understand why somebody, but having the bottom surgery, no, I was ready, because it always felt wrong. Yeah. I mean, it just, I would joke about, Oh, I didn't look in the mirror afraid of breaking it. But the truth was, I never looked in the mirror because I couldn't stand what I saw. Yeah. It just felt so wrong. Now it's, you know, like, 
oh, I didn't get that lined up right. You know, I mean, it's right, at, or I missed a spot shaving. That's one thing that's still very dysphoric is feeling stubble. Mm. Uh, and I will eventually go back and get the rest of the electrolysis work done. Mm. Um, but I can get away with several days without shaving uh, as long as I don't touch my face and feel it uh, because it doesn't get real obvious. Mm -hmm. And most of the rest of the body hair just simply disappeared on its own, which they say is very unusual, but oh. I'm happy about it. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I'll probably need to get a little hair transplant work done up here, but I've had the facial surgery and things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, each little thing, I mean, that's why I went for the, the bottom surgery first, because that's the thing that was driving me the most crazy, that felt the most wrong. I mean... Yeah, you just wanted to feel in your And body. I just want to not be wrong. And, uh, it, it, oh God, I mean, so wonderful. And then the other things, like the, the, the facial, everybody I know, all the other trans people at the office that I know of, went for the facial surgery first, right? And uh, they're a lot younger than me, and they look really nice now. <laughs> my, my son was saying something one, one morning. I was getting ready to go to work. So said, you realize you're dressed like an old woman, don't you? And I'm like, and? Stating <laughs> <laughs> you know. the obvious. Yeah, right? So, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just that. I mean, it's just wanting to feel right in your skin. That's it, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, my, my litmus test these days is if, it, I, I tell people, it's like, if you're not sure if you're trans, but you know, it, just think about having those surgeries. If it doesn't make you run screaming, you're probably trans. If yeah. it does, you're probably not, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know why it holds true, mind you, but it seems to. I mean, it seems to make a lot of sense, you know? I've known those that haven't. Going through it for no reason, you know, something that you really feel. Um, I mean, I've known some that didn't, you know, uh, elected not to have the surgery because they were true. afraid of the complications or for whatever reason they couldn't or what, whatnot. But, you know, they didn't mean they didn't want to. Right, right, yeah. Um, they just had reasons. Right, yeah. Um, it's like a, there's one person I've, I've corresponded with on again, off again, that has to be just remain in the closet because they've got some other medical issues. And if they they tried to start transitioning and uh, just a little bit of estradiol and it messes them up bad, mm. and um, you know they just can't do it. Um, so yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, that's their. It's yeah, it's true. It's like and I oh I hate that. Hate that for them so bad. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 rough. I mean, it's it's a horrible thing. I'm you know that's why I said I was so afraid of my own kids because I couldn't and just couldn't and bear to have them endure the kind of crap that I endured. I just, Can you talk more about parenting? Like, was it just that fear or? Um, well, I mean, I tried to, although I, I said something to Eric because. Well, you never did anything even remotely masculine. <laughs> you know, I didn't do catch. Or I just I didn't know how to do those things. But both of my kids know how to change their own oil. They know how to re change their brake pads. 
Um, they they know how to do a lot of stuff. You know, they they're the. But most importantly, they know how to not let a mechanic take advantage of them. Mm. You know, it's important. Uh, exactly. They take and advantage of you. My daughter still drives a stick too. Right. <laughs> she had a little uh, Super Beetle for a while, which was I learned to drive in. It was a Super Beetle. Oh. Uh, VW Super Beetle. I was just thinking about it because I was reading this book about, um, you know, just that there's a lot of wrong thought that, oh, trans people shouldn't be parents. And, like, I was wondering if you felt like there's something actually on the flip side that being trans, like, strengthened you as a parent or prepared well, I mean, you. It made me more aware way. that there might be some things that weren't immediately, you know, visible, obvious, right? But, um, and I was, uh, I tended to be more of the maternal nature, and my wife tended to, you know, mm -hmm. she was the disciplinarian and stuff, and and, I, and she wouldn't, like, um, she refused to uh, uh, let my daughter uh, get her ears pierced, and I finally took her. Mm -hmm. And... As it turns out, after I started my transition and announced it, she took me to the same place that she got that I took her to get her ears pierced, to get mine pierced. So that was kind of a, a cool little you know, bonding yeah. thing. <laughs> How old was she when you took her to get her ears pierced? Oh God. Sixteen? No, I think she's like fifteen. Somewhere around there. She yeah. had her car. She had just gotten Tunisia. So, no, she had I guess been she 15. would have had to have been 16. Yeah, 16. But yeah, it was, it was, and, and as it was, we snuck and did it. Yeah. But my wife was like, no, she can get it when she's 18. You know, and that was just that. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I took her. And it, yeah, it's, Tennessee's crazy about a lot of that stuff. Like they uh, they block, uh, have always blocked LGBT access to you know materials and stuff like that, um, and they want to be critical about all kinds of things. But my uh, my daughter had to go for a health checkup at the we were poor, so we went to the health department right mm -hmm. uh, for those things that the health department would do, um, and you know not that it would be anybody's business, but I mean. The, She'd already had birth control. I mean, you know, that, that was a done deal. But this was just to follow up on some tests. And she went to check out for school, uh, and they made her call me, which is illegal. If a kid, uh, you know, has, if she had a driver's license, she had a car there, she had a note, doctor's note, from the health department and they refused to let her leave without talking to me first. And then shouted over the phone about, how could you let your daughter go get birth control? Just assumed. Out in front of everybody, my poor daughter was mortified. Mm -hmm. You know? So and did you have to have certain conversations, like back at home being like, you know, people are gonna act like this, but. Oh, I mean, she knew. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it, it, to tell you something, she did. The back before the Obergefell uh, decision, mm -hmm. Tennessee had actually passed a law that said it was a felony to recognize a legal same-sex marriage performed in another state. Wow. And anyway, it was a felony because 
that just can't be condoned here, right? And by the way, you're still hard-pressed to get a same-sex marriage license in Tennessee. They, they won't issue it unless a film crew comes in with you. And then they'll do it because they don't want to be on film not giving it. But, but no, they will refuse it otherwise because it's against their religion and they'll tell you that. Mm. Um, but uh, they, uh, before that was the Supreme Court decision, uh, and they had that law against even, you know, talking about it pretty much. Um, they had a talk about it in her, her civics class at her high school. Mm -hmm. And kid after kid after kid got up there talking about how it was a crime against humanity because the topic was, you know, same gender marriages. Mm -hmm. And a crime against humanity and they should be burned at the stake and all this kind of stuff. And my daughter finally gets up there and they all, you know, she's, you know, she has her entourage of guys and there's no, no one had any doubts of where her interests lie, right? And, uh, and uh, she gets up there and says, you know, I think that it's a wonderful thing, all these women being able to marry each other. I think it's fantastic. We should allow it. We should encourage it. And she said, after all, leaves more men for me. <laughs> And I just put a fork in that discussion. It was over. I was like, oh, that's my girl. Oh. It was great. What a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, she, she, just, she just nailed it. I thought that was great. A friend of mine used to make that argument years before, and, and he would say, you know, leaves more women for me. You know. But uh, my daughter pulling that out, she said she, she told me, she said, I just couldn't. Just couldn't sit there and listen to it anymore. <laughs> Just couldn't. <laughs> Good for her. So, yeah. So it does sound like it was impactful to have you as a parent. I mean, how was the, when you came out to your kids, what was that like? Well, I mean, I, my wife got mad at me because I announced the transition of my daughter first because I was trying to get her to come. I wanted to have a family meeting and do it, all of us together in one place. And my daughter's like, oh no, I'm too busy. I need to come up here. Oh, I'm just too busy. I'm like, you need to come up here. No, I'm too busy. I'll find out, okay, look. <laughs> you must be here and this is why. And so, okay. <laughs> and that was what I had to do that to get her there. And my wife hasn't forgiven me because I shouldn't have told her first. Actually, I shouldn't have told anybody. I should have let my wife decide no, I wasn't doing it. But, um, but yeah, she, um, she brought me a dress uh, as gift when she came, as, uh, has pockets, <laughs> dress with pockets, and uh, it's red. So I wore that home from the hospital after my bottom surgery. Wow. And, uh, you know, so it uh, has some, a lot of sentimental uh, value there, but, uh, but, but yeah, she was really good about it. Her comment was, I deserved an Oscar for my performance. Uh, performance as a father, but my love for the movie Under the Tuscan Sun made a whole lot more sense now. I mean, us die in lane, so you know. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, I, 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 not much I can really say about that. You know, I have a copy of it over there somewhere. So it feels like also like maybe like in your past it was hard to find allies, but then. It's really beautiful to hear, like having a child that like came by and bought you a dress. Like, 
do you find, I, I guess it's like unique that you had children in the circumstances that you did before coming out and then came out, but there's something really beautiful to hear that the child that you had was like so accepting of you. Well, they've been, they, well, they, well, they grew, about half of our friends are LGBT, right? Because, you know, it seems to be about the microcosm of the yeah. of society. And, um, I mean, just because of how it works. And the same thing was when I was growing up. My mom had a bunch of, you know, uh, gay friends. And huh. so when I got old enough to understand, you know, physical attraction and stuff, I, I'd grown up around these people. You know, it was no big deal to me, right? So the same thing true for my kids. Once they got old enough, it's like they knew all these men. They knew Uncle David and Wayne, you know, and all the other, from little bitty, right? And um, it's like David and Wayne are, uh, they uh, they finally got married when it, in D.C. before the Auburnfeld decision um, and uh, lived down in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, good, really good friends of ours. Uh, got pictures of they were visiting <laughs> in the area over Christmas, but, um, but yeah, they they were fine with it. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been just fine with it. All of our other friends. One of our friends, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. It, it, he actually ended up committing suicide, oh, but he he had stage four cancer, mm -hmm. and I mean it was. And he hadn't told anybody. We didn't find out about it until after he, you know, he just. Yeah. And I, and I can't say I blame him. If I was facing that same type of thing, I'm not sure I, you know, might take the coward's way out too. I mean, you know. But anyway, he came up for a visit before his cancer had gotten bad and took me shopping. And, you know, spent some That's time. a good memory. Mm hmm And then... Before the the last days, he came up and stayed over Christmas, so Eric and I could travel down just the two of us mm -hmm. to go to Beth's for Christmas down there in Tennessee, and that was the last time I went to the big Scoggins family thing with my parents and my stepbrothers. I have four stepbrothers. Oh, okay. From when my mom remarried, and um, and they were accepting. It wasn't a big deal. When I went down for my fortieth high school reunion. That was after my surgery, uh, but I had not updated the gender marker stuff on Facebook yet because I didn't want anybody to know in advance. Mm. I just talked to a few people I knew and ended up, uh, it, it turned out that uh, the, the, the girls that I always wanted to hang with were just as big potheads as I was back then. <laughs> and I, I did all the same shit that I like. Wow, <laughs> we got along fine, sat together reminiscing about shit. You know, it was great. So uh, one of them put it, she's like, you know, it might have been different if you'd come out 40 years ago when we are in school, but now we're old enough that we don't care, don't care anymore. And so you said your mom also had like My mom friends was, around. Like was that, was Yeah, she even though she gave or? me that crap when I first tried to come out in the 80s, Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, she wanted grandchildren. You know, once she had grandchildren, <laughs> yeah, I guess it didn't matter anymore. Huh. But yeah, when I came out again, she was like, yeah, well, you know. And she's become quite a supporter. For a while there, she wasn't because she watched a lot of Fox News. But my, my stepfather, 
was the one that kept it on Fox News all the time. That or the Golf Channel. And that was just, that was what the TV was on. And so she'd watch it sitting there with nothing else better to do, sit there and watch that with him all day. And she had some decidedly bent views. When he passed, she stopped watching Fox News, and she's back to the old, open-minded woman that I remember from my childhood. Wow. And so that just goes to show you how brainwashing that stuff can be. Yeah. Um, I even remember once when I, the, my former employer, he'd make me listen to Rush Limbaugh. And, because uh, we always had to share a room. I couldn't admit, you know, it, I said, you know, if I admitted that I was trans, I'd have, they probably had me shot or something. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, I remember one time he was, he was like, you got to watch this, listen to this, it makes perfect sense. And he was going on about the, you know, point A, point B, point C, point, you know. And it was making logical sense. Da, 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 da. And then suddenly, jump way over here and then continued. I'm like, wait a minute, you took a gigantic leap between step I and H. And and he's like, what do you mean? It's made perfect sense. I'm like, not that one step. Oh, you're just not paying close enough attention. Like, no, you aren't paying close enough attention. You missed the logical leap that the guy made. And that's how they do it. Mm. They just kind of sneak this big jump in the middle of a bunch of other reasonable things and you don't catch where they left off over here. Mm. Yeah. And um, and it's, you know. So your mom, you experienced her as being open-minded. Yeah, when I was younger, she was very open-minded and stuff. And then when I... Um, and she's still she's still living? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's, I'll, I'll be seeing her while I'm down there too. Nice. It, actually, when she got married to Jim, um, I was, I was four, does I, did I turn 15 yet? I don't know, somewhere around in there. Uh, she met him when I was 14, mm -hmm. and they moved in together, and then they finally got married. And when I was 16, uh, we just, we did not get along. I did not get along with Jim at all. And he was an asshole, and I moved out, and I moved in with my grandparents. And so I finished up my two years, of, you know, in high school and first two years of college living with my grandparents, and then, you know, went on out. So. Um, and my mom feels guilty about letting me move out, but, you know, she was happy with him, and I knew I was going to be off doing my own thing anyway. It didn't make any sense for her to leave him just for my last two years of high school. Yeah. And ruin her chance of happiness. And, and she, you know, he, he was very good to her, and he loved her dearly, and, and she loved him dearly, and, and, you know, they had a fantastic marriage. And, you know, I'm glad that I did not get in the way of that, you know. Um, and I, I keep telling her to stop having guilt over it. She probably will continue to keep having guilt over it, but, you know, I tell her not to. But, you know, that, my grandfather was super open-minded. My grandmother was selectively racist. Uh, she was very racist, but if she knew you, you know, she was colorblind to people that she knew, mm -hmm. but otherwise she was pretty racist. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather was exactly the opposite. He was like one of the most open-minded people I've ever met in my life. Uh, he just extremely, extremely, you know, and he was pretty religious, but he never once 
told me I had to do something because of his religion. Not once. He was a deacon with his church. He taught Sunday school. He went down and all that stuff. Never once saw him tell anybody what they had to do. Do you feel like your grandfather had any sense that you were trans or no? Probably not. Yeah. Because it, it, I certainly, I mean, I was very much aware of it while I was living there and, you know, it was all I dreamed of was somehow miraculously, you know, switching genders. Um, you know, it's, but, uh, and I read a lot of science fiction. That's how I got involved uh, into what really got me involved in going to Chattacon in the first place is that the guest of honor they had that year was Jack Chalker. Mm -hmm. And Jack Chalker wrote a lot of gender change in his novels. Uh, just because he, it was, he said that gender was the easiest and yet, mo you know, easiest way to F with a character and still get a lot of mileage out of it. You know, and and most of most of his novels, the people change species too. But you know, uh, but yeah, and I got very much like that. And he was a minor. He was a special guest at that convention, the first one I went to. And um, I didn't actually get involved involved then, uh, but that's how I discovered science fiction conventions. I went to several of them. Um, and then I started getting involved in the in the Chattacon, mm -hmm. and I joined the board of directors in uh, in uh, '89, I think it was, early '89. Mm -hmm. I believe it was the yeah that that spring's election. So, and then my wife got on the board the year after, and we both were heavily involved up until about. 2015, I think we we're both up here, and and uh, she dropped out mm -hmm. of it, and I dropped out of the the like registration and the bigger departments like that. I still did the was program book editor a few times, but you know with my background, I'm, I'm a programmer that can actually write in English, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very active, yeah, and multifaceted. <laughs> so, yeah. What are some of your favorite characteristics about yourself, or like your, yeah, your? Do you have any favorite things about yourself? Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I try to be friendly with everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's. Um, I don't remember who said it, but uh, the the quote was something along the lines of. Uh, uh, Courtesy is the lubrication of society, and it, it, you know, it doesn't take a lot of effort to be nice and stuff. And like everybody at work knows me. I mean, the security people, you know, greet me. The the, the uh, people in the pantry because I'm nice to all of them. You know, I had many many years ago. One of the other uh, was many many. It was at Bloomberg, but it was like first year there or something like that. I was up in one of the pantries. And because um, we were so spoiled, and um, <laughs> and somebody I was talking with one of the pantry staff, and and uh, one of the other engineers is like, well, you realize they're pantry staff, right? And I'm like, so, <laughs> so what if they're not engineering? Who gives a crap, right? Yeah. They still work here. <laughs> you know, they're still nice to me. I'm nice to them. You know, it's, mm -hmm. but. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I try to be nice to everybody. I try not to, you know, you know, sometimes things do get under my skin, but I, I try to be amiable. I try to be, you know, helpful to others. I mean, I've had several people at work have reached out to me, but several people that have uh, have come out at work here recently that mm. I have, you know, added to the list and welcomed them and given them advice and stuff like that. Um, several trans people I've met in the area that have, there's uh, several of us that get together periodically for a brunch. Oh yeah, what's that about? Like, or how did that come about? We we met at a uh, use the same electrolysis. Oh, nice. And uh, just met through that. And they live close by, or you meet up? Where do you meet up? Well, it's like, um, well, I mean, we'd been like Rag Traders, one of the places, and and stuff like that. It, it the holidays kind of split us up quite a bit, and we hadn't been in. Some have had surgeries and and we pulled in different directions. But I'm, I'm, my friend Deb, uh, her day job is she's assistant, uh, a senior assistant district attorney for uh, the courts in Brooklyn. Oh, cool! And uh, her day job is putting uh, fraudsters in you know in jail and stuff like that, uh, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> but she's fully out and proud there and. She's like the second uh, openly trans uh, uh, assistant DA in the country. The other one was in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, I think a couple weeks ago she just got a, a sworn in to be able to practice for the Supreme Court and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think I saw an announcement about that. Actually. About Debbie Dudas? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. she's, a, she's a good friend. I, I love Deb to death. She is, she's crazy. <laughs> we, we, uh, <laughs> a, a, another good friend of mine who's... Uh, uh, She's the wife of somebody I met at work, and I, I got to be good friends with him and met his wife, and we really hit it off, and we've been, we went to Nutcracker together. She treated me the Nutcracker uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, she had, um, they, they're big patrons of the arts and stuff, and she, um, anyway, she had some tickets for Carnegie Hall for Brahms concert, mm. and that they weren't gonna be able to make, and asked me if I was interested, FedEx to me the tickets, <laughs> and you know, okay. like, wow. And so I, I got Deb to go with me, and and I got Aww. suggestions for food, and we we grabbed uh, a dinner, and and uh, and and went and enjoyed, <laughs> and it was it was really cool, excellent concert I might add, yeah. but uh, but yeah, Deb's a mess. She's a. Uh, she was having a celebration and burning her old bar association thing mm. for her dead name, mm. or or, like ne ritual. or necronym as as I've heard people call it lately, which I love. <laughs> necronym is so good, but um, but anyway, and one of her other friends that was there, like the first time I'd met her, uh -huh. uh, Sharon, she was um, uh, she's also a lawyer, and. Um, and she was like, you can't burn that. You, how many years it took you to get this and the education and the bar exam? And I, like, <laughs> I've got a better one with my right, proper name on it. And she's like, but you can't burn that. Oh. <laughs> and he just torqued her up that, that, that Deb burned it. But, but yeah, we had a little <laughs> ceremony out there, toasted it with some whiskey, and like, bye-bye. <laughs> that sounds so fun. So yeah, Deb's great. I'm I'm lucky. I mean, I I'm so lucky to have met these people. You know, it's, it's just the same with the friends I have back in Tennessee. I just got lucky to bounce into these people and 
you know. I had somebody tell me that I would be, I was uh, very lucky if I had at least one or two good friends in my lifetime. I've got several, mm -hmm. you know. Maybe I'm just specially blessed or something, but it's, um, there's those friends David and Wayne that I mentioned down there. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt in my mind if I called them and said, hey, I need you, they'd be hopping a plane up here. Because I wouldn't do that and I realized I really needed them, right? Right. Uh, and they know that. And the, the same thing's true, too, because they wouldn't ask me unless it mattered. And if they asked me, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to hop a plane and go down there. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, they were there when the kids were born. <laughs> oh. You know. Yeah. Uh, they were actually originally my wife's friends, mm. and now they're, you know, both our friends, of course. But, but yeah. Um, so, several along those lines. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of friendships, and that's great. I mean. Also sounds like you put a lot out there too, so it comes back and Well you used to always have the parties at our house. It was always party at D and Cindy's. Yeah, what kind of parties did you have? Well I mean just you know, it, it just get togethers and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, if there was well there was usually some drinking involved in which case we would take keys, you know, make people crash there because we weren't gonna be responsible for them driving. Um, but you know, as and the kids got older and stuff like that. It, it, it got much more subdued, and we were just, you know, sitting around playing Trivial Pursuit all hours and things like that. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, and... the Yeah. And sometimes we'd go down to Chattanooga before they moved to Florida and stuff like that. But, but yeah, I just... You know, just general friend stuff that... You know, that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, playing games together and visiting and just, you know, just enjoying each other's company. Uh, back at our house on uh, Claybaker, we would have, uh, Claybaker Road is the name of the okay. street. Okay, in Tennessee. The only Claybaker Road, I think, in the entire country. Wow. Because I looked up Claybaker Road and it says, Cleveland, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's unique. It yeah, unique. It's, it's pretty unique. But, uh, but yeah, we'd have a bonfire out back, uh, especially when Jerry would come by. and. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, you know, have a big bonfire, sit around just chatting. Mm -hmm. we, had a, we had a large deck that we built. Uh, we built it, we framed it, we roofed it, we did all the wiring. Um, had a big hot tub on it. Nice. And uh, I miss the hot tub. <laughs> I was going to ask you what brings you joy, hot tubs? <laughs> yeah, that, that brought me some joy. Yeah, one of my favorite things is hiking. Mm -hmm. And so with this crap going on with this piriformis syndrome, I can't wait to get that shit fixed because I, 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 you know, hiking is one of my joys. Mm -hmm. It was nothing to go on a 10-mile hike, and, and, you know, I can't do that. It just kills me. Have you always liked hiking? Was oh, it? yeah. Yeah. I've always loved walks in the woods and stuff. I've, I've walked the length of Central Park before. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, it was, I walked all over the freaking place before this started happening. Yeah. Um, so I'm very eager to get it fixed. I had to go to New Jersey for that. To get it fixed or? Well, yeah, to find a surgeon that knew what it was even. Oh. I bounced around every major medical group in this city yeah. and none of them knew what it was. Oh. 
and finally I went to a doctor at Columbia Neurosurgery and he's like oh that's piriformis syndrome you need to talk to and gave me a, a referral to a doctor at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore wow. and they reached out to them and after back and forth a bunch they finally admitted that they didn't do that anymore and told me to go to University of Pennsylvania and then they referred me to this doctor out in um, Morristown, New Jersey, which is where the Jets have their training field and stuff. There's a big, huge sports medicine stuff out there. That's where I grew and, up. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So that doctor knew, and, and he sent me to another guy that did some injections in there, and he was skeptical at first. He's like, you realize this is extremely rare. And I'm like, that's why I'm here. <laughs> And then he starts checking it under ultrasound. He goes, well, congratulations. You're less than 2% of the population. I'm laying there going, oh, I feel so lucky. You know, um, the irony was apparently lost on him. But he did some injections of saline in there, and it made it so much better. And then, of course, it got bad again. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's what let us know that that was indeed what it was. Mm -hmm. And I say it was supposedly it's been approved by insurance. Just got to wait to get it scheduled in. Yeah. For surgery there. Mm -hmm. And they said there was no way they were even going to think about it until after the holidays were over. Right. And will you be able after the surgery to go back to doing hiking and stuff like that? He said that he expects me to get back at least 70% of the mobility that I had before at the very least. Okay. He said you may get it all back. He said you should be able to go on the long hikes again, most likely. Okay. But. You know, no way to know until after they do it and see what happens and yeah. what sort of scar tissue develops and all that other stuff. Right. Um, the, you know, just have to see what happens. But, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had several things. I tell, I tell people that my left side is cursed because I had uh, uh, the first thing I did to myself was um, uh, trying to save money on a car repair. So I was trying to break loose an exhaust manifold bolt underneath the car. And when it finally did give way, I slammed my elbow and did damage and required surgery. So it wasn't as cheap a car repair in retrospect. Um, and then, um, and then I had a disc pop, mm. which affected the left arm. And then I had um, thoracic outlet syndrome, which shuts off blood flow. It's a issue in here. It's also genetic. Mm. Um, and then uh, less than two percent of the population. Um, and you know, trans listen. You're very <laughs> trans, unique. So, you know, that's just I hit the genetic like, lottery. I know. Here. I've been here. <laughs> but um, you know, said so my grandmother lived to 99. Her mother lived to 99. My paternal grandmother lived to 93. Um, I'm not even sure how she died. My my father passed away in his 50s, mm -hmm. but um, he was an alcoholic. He had been through DT several times. He had done a lot of damage to his body. And it was, he had a cerebral aneurysm. And they, they said that the it was very clearly his his body had been, uh, what was it? Rode hard and put up wet was the, was the term. <laughs> it's, you know, from horses. Yeah. Yeah. Rode hard and put up wet. Um, Did you ever... Um to your dad about like I don't know you said you had a hard relationship with him well I didn't know him at all 
So that's um, your first, yeah, your biological father. My biological father, I didn't know him well at all. And I had actually gotten, I'd gone by once to try to see him, it was when I was um, in college at UT Knoxville, and I was a co-op student uh, working at IBM in Charlotte, North Carolina. I went over there for two stints. That was when the PC was introduced. I was there when the PC was introduced. That was cool. Um, yeah, I mean, go figure. So, um, but that was when my grandfather had passed away, and mm -hmm. I, and I'd gone to the funeral and saw my father there, and then I made another trip back by to see him um, when he was in Irwin, Tennessee, uh, and I just there was overnight because I had to get on over, you know, back to uh, where I was going, and um, I uh, uh, I remember. The one thing that stuck out, he decided he wanted to give me some advice about women. And he said, I needed to remember just this one thing, that with women I was supposed to fool them, fuck them, and leave them. And here I was, already knew I was a trans woman. I, you know, I already knew that. And I was like, oh my God, what a piece of shit this guy really is. It was the last time I saw him alive. So, you know. At that time, did you respond or did you just know to be? I like, just left it. Like, yeah. Just, just, there was nothing I could say or anything. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement to say. What would you have said back? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, was, I was without words. Okay. I had, I, I, there was no way I could respond to that. I just couldn't, just couldn't. It was really difficult. I was always been, you know, very staunch proponent of women's rights, and people were always like, why would you care? Well, there was a reason for that. You know, it is not as altruistic as you think. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, and so, yeah, I was uh, always, well, even if it wasn't for that, my mom, I mean, you know, she raised me as a single mother for most of my, you know, childhood. Um, and she somehow made it all work, even a brief period of time that we had to be, because uh, I grew up as a radio station brat. My mom sold sold, uh, sold advertising for radio stations. Mm -hmm. And uh, she worked for a little radio station in, in Cleveland at first, and then mm -hmm. she worked for a TV station and radio station up in Knoxville. Cool. Um, and then they decided to replace her with a guy that drove a Cadillac because they didn't want a woman sales manager driving a Volkswagen when they could have a man driving a Cadillac. And uh, I understand that he lost all the accounts she had sold. <laughs> she sold the very first Ruby Tuesdays ad because no. Ruby Tuesdays started in Knoxville, Tennessee. Wow. And what was your mom's name or is your mom's name? Uh, Sarah Scoggins. Sarah Scoggins. It was, uh, well, anyway, yeah, it, she, uh, Jim was her third marriage. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah. yeah. So you had another stepfather before Jim. Yeah, Ed, um, he passed away pancreatic cancer, I think, uh, mm -hmm. uh, about a year and a half ago or something like that. I didn't get a chance to make it down to the funeral because... There was still, you know, some COVID issues then too, but um, 
anyway, he lived up in the mountains of Polk County, Tennessee, up, yeah. way up there in the mountains. And uh, and he knew, and he was okay with it. He didn't understand it, but he was okay with it. Um, and uh, you know, we uh, you know we had tried to keep in contact, you know, up until when he passed. So, you know, yeah. But he was the reason we moved to UT Knoxville because he was going to. Uh, I'm sorry, new to Knoxville because he was going to UT Knoxville on the GI Bill uh, after getting out, you know, during the Vietnam era. Mm. Uh, my uncle was also a, a, a my uncle was in the Marine Corps. I'm not really sure what Ed was in, uh, which branch, but, um, but yeah. yeah, my uncle lives in Oak Ridge. <laughs> Okay. It's my my mother's brother, and and they're okay with it too. That they're, that that's great. Family has been fantastic with it. Most of the family's been good. There's just been a few of my in-laws. There was one that wanted to take me hunting, and said it was time to cash in my life insurance policy, and they were serious about it. Mm. I mean, I know how they are, and not real surprised. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of other friends of friends of Cindy's that have also, you know, I, I thought at first they were okay with it, but apparently no, they want to off me too. So, you said you have firearms down there in Tennessee. How did you first learn how to to shoot? And I don't know. Like, oh God! What are your thoughts on? I feel like you know, it's a unique perspective. When did I first shoot a firearm? Back when I was in high school, I guess. You have to understand, you. when I was in high school, we had one day when uh, one of the my fellow students brought a gun to class, showing it off. It was a really nice revolver and a really nice velvet case, and yeah. you know we all oohed and awed over it and chatted. And and at one point, our teacher pulled her gun out of her purse that she carried, and you know, and and you now, but you know, this is Tennessee. I mean, you know, everybody goes hunting and stuff, and. You know, I uh, I never did any serious hunting myself. I went along with people that were hunting. Yeah. Uh, I had friends that you know went out and did a lot of that outdoorsy stuff, and I would tag along sometimes. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I never did any of that myself. Do you feel like do you use them to protect yourself down there, like from? Well, that's why. Like that, that, well, that I mean, something like that to you, or yeah. well, I mean, it just it's I. I have been known to stalk through the house carrying a shotgun in my hands with hearing some weird noises at night. Mm -hmm. I have done that. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of times I heard some suspicious noises, didn't see anything, you know, but we lived out in the middle of boondocks. Yeah. You know, it was just out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, and so therefore you kind of, you know, uh, But yeah, this will give you an idea of uh, well, if it's going to show the satellite. 
Why is it not showing us that light? Here we go. So, there's where I live. So that gives you an idea. Yeah. It's out in the middle of nowhere. They uh, would they would only deliver pizza this far. <laughs> they wouldn't come on out to us. But but yeah, this gives you an idea. That was the house that I owned right there. Wow. And the property went all the way back up through here and back up through here, mm -hmm. eight acres. Do but, you yeah. feel that um, that's where the deck is? Hmm. But like living in rural America, that. Um, there, you feel like it's important to have trans visibility in rural America, or like? Well, I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, it's just that. I mean, that's just the difficulty with trans people is that, is that the goal is to just kind of disappear back into right, society, right? Be because person. once you've transitioned, right, you know, you're at your target, and that's that. And whether or not you might still be, you know, interested in you know, it, it be categorized as lesbian or bi or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's that aspect, but but there's not. There's not. I mean, yeah. It, it's it's a fundamental aspect of how you are physically, uh, as opposed to, you know, your preference. There's no choice about trans. As far as you don't have a choice whether you're trans or not. You either are or you aren't, and. It just the only choice is uh, are you actually going to remain miserable or not is what it really boils down to. Uh, you know, can you really live with this kind of misery? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you can, fine. If you can't, well, then you do something about it. So as far as transness goes and visibility goes, I mean, I, I don't see my trans as my identity. My identity is is just a woman, just a plain old, you know, or crazy cat lady. Uh, <laughs> one of my friends told me years ago, he said, he was gay, uh, he said, uh, said, the only thing stopping you from being that crazy cat lady is your gender. And I didn't say anything at the time because he didn't know. And so when the, <laughs> afterwards I said, you know, you remember you talking about that? And he said, oh God, girl, you're doomed, you're doomed. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Mark. <laughs> you were it. <laughs> yeah, right? So, but yeah, I just... I guess I just mean if you were a kid and you saw more people around you transitioning or being able to do that more openly, would that have been helpful to you? Well, I mean, if I had been able to... If I had... If they had known... You know what to do about it back then. I'm sure that I would have been on hormones back when I was, way back when. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, I kind of am a little jealous because they, they grow up completely indistinguishable. They're, they're don't grow up normally, and I think that's one thing that I find very encouraging about those that can get it identified early, and that they don't have to be stuck with the results of the wrong puberty. Because I can't ever get rid of, you know, my wide shoulders, right? I mean, that's that's how things developed. My mm -hmm. hips will never grow out to the proper proportions, you know. It won't happen because that, that ship sailed, you know. But I just, I, I hate the thoughts of anybody having to endure the, the wrongness that I did. It's just, it's, you know, 
Yeah, totally. It's, yeah. And I, I, it's unnecessary. Yeah, and I, that's the one thing, is I, I try to do these things. I, 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 I'm involved in PFLAG because I want to try to help make a difference, how to help these parents cope with what they're coping with. And I admire the shit out of them for, for standing behind their children like that. And sometimes, I mean, we'll have somebody like from Florida, we have people join us from all over the world, really. Uh, but we'll have families sometimes in Florida, or not now because they moved. Uh, there was one family that had, uh, their, their child was starting, uh, well, this fall, was starting their senior year in high school. They had started transitioning in middle school. They were been on hormones and everything, yeah. and they had gotten a letter stating that they would be forbidden to show up in anything other than pants and boys' attire, had to change their name back, had to change their gender marker back, would not be permitted any anything. Oh my gosh. And they're like, and of course they're off of all their sports teams and everything else. I mean, just like, bam, that law passed and over summer their life got destroyed. And so they were moving. They were relocating. The parents had already found new jobs and and uh, and so on because their kid had already been, their daughter had already been looking into surgeries. Mm -hmm. You know, and to be forced to do that is just, to me, it's deplorable. I mean, that, that that they can sit there and enforce this that those oh it just it makes me sick i'm disgusted mm -hmm. that these people can do that to children and 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 even have the audacity to say they're trying to protect them yeah you know i, I had a run in with uh, somebody at um, in the hospital mm -hmm. and i had gone in with the abdominal pain it turned out i had um uh, umbilical hernia, mm. a little bitty tiny one, and didn't know that the tiny ones are the ones that hurt the worst. Uh, I can tell you it hurt real bad. Um, and I go in there, I'm in the hospital, and they took me off my estrogen. And the asshole had the audacity to say, well, we don't want to change up your medications right before surgery. I'm like, if you take me off of it, you are changing my yeah. medications. I've been taking this for three years. All the more reason to stop it now. I'm like, I want to, no. And so, uh, and, I, and I complained about it, and he came in and said, you're going to pay for that. And then he would do all my pain medication. And so after surgery, I'm laying there in agony all night long. And the nurse admitted to the care team the next morning, said, yeah, I would not acknowledge any calls, would not do any follow-up. Followed up on every other patient on the floor but this one. And I'd started in with, I'm like, look, I want them terminated off, my, off of my care team. I want them removed. I don't want them ever touching my chart again. And uh, they, they, uh, they're not, uh, their medical career got terminated, by the way. This was in New York. Yeah, that was serious enough that they lost their residency and lost their MD. And as it should. Yeah, as Because it should. there's no place for that. That no. violates the very oath they took. It's awful. To do no harm. But he was deliberately and was just smiling smug about it. Wasn't so smug that morning when I brought down the house on top of his head. Mm -hmm. But I just wasn't going to be mistreated like that.
That's awful. And, you know, I found out later when I had another problem and have, happened to be in the same hospital. So, oh, yeah, that, that, that person was run off and they were run off. Mm. I mean, sure, they could probably go on to another state where that was accepted. Like in Tennessee, there's hospitals that will not knowingly treat an LGBT person. They'll let them die because it's against their religion. The state law upholds that. Mm. The state law says there uh, says HIPAA is not valid in the state of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if uh, your employer gives you a drug test, they have to report it to the state, which is illegal. That's against federal law, releasing that medical information. But state law says they have to. I was just flabbergasted about that. Yeah. My, uh, our, our uh, uh, one of the doctors went to, remember the family doctor, one of the other ones, had stopped doing the drug tests in their office because of the fact they were being forced to this, by the state to violate the HIPAA, hmm. and they weren't going to be caught between state and federal. Like, just not going to do this. We just won't do that anymore. Hmm. They'll let some other clinic take the risk, not us. But that's the kind of stuff that happens, you know, in yeah. areas like this. And there's a good reason why Tennessee is, and some of these are like that, is that uh, and so many things are illegal because uh, the lobbying by the uh, Corrections Corporation of America, mm -hmm. or actually I think it's Core Civic now is the name of it, um, but they run every jail and detention center and prison in the state. Mm -hmm. And so it's in their best interest because they're for profit to extend your stay and and stuff. Uh, they work people to the bone, 80 hours a week in these prisons with manual labor, and they don't get paid or, or compensated for it in any way because it's a for profit prison. And it's like, you know, so and so effectively we do have debtor prisons. Tennessee has them. And um, but if you look, majority of those inmates are darker skin color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you have the ability to fight it and have people on the outside that can, you know, fight it for you, you can beat those things. Actually, usually they won't even file the charges. If they think you've got any kind of support behind you, they generally won't file the charges. I know one person that is like eighth DUI. His lawyer uh, substituted on the bench the day his case got scheduled and dismissed it. And they play real so, loose with the laws down there. Yeah, sounds so. Do you have any hopes for the future? <laughs> well, I mean, I always thought I'd want to retire back there. I love the countryside and stuff, yeah. but until that gets reined in and and they stop that trying to turn uh, you know Tennessee into a theocracy um, you know uh, but my, my son he had uh, had to suffer through biblical math when he was in uh, middle school it totally screwed up his math scores and everything which is the most ridiculous crap I'd ever seen before in my life I couldn't help him with it because it makes zero logical sense but it was only God's numbers. So it's only positive integers. Nothing else existed because that was just of the devil. 
and only God's numbers, and it just the most ridiculous crap. It's like, what the hell? But he was a uh, some uh, graduate of Lee University, the local religious school mm -hmm. college there, and and the teacher. And the teacher, well, no, the teacher uh, decided to select the book published by one of her friends at Lee University. There's this. Um, and we also got a lecture by her that if you have any doctor's appointments, don't have them during my class. And my daughter, that same teacher, I think it was the same teacher, she got gigged, uh, got a zero on one of her tests because she had to miss it to go to my grandmother's funeral. And that, that was not an acceptable reason for missing the test. Like you just, you'd have to... What, I don't know. There's no acceptable reason, I guess, then. Well, it was, you know, my my paternal grandmother driving all the way up there to Rome Mountain, you know. I couldn't exactly leave my daughter, you know, to fend for herself and just being in middle school. You know, kind of had to take not. her with us, right? So. So it's, like, hard to, you'd like, some part of you would love to retire there, but it's. I love the countryside. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to retire actually up around Irwin, up in up in there, because it's peaceful and beautiful, and you know, and all that. Um, but the way the laws are, and not being able to vote, and all the rest of this stuff, like you know, no, not until you know, not until they get their hearts right, basically, because yeah. they're they're not right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I would love to see it change. I was so loved. I kept my Tennessee driver's license to the last possible instant so I could still vote back there. I didn't change it until I started my transition and Tennessee won't change it. Yeah. So, you know, I had to change it here. But yeah, I would I would love to, you know, I, I but yeah. Yeah. It's not, not presently in the running. Yeah, but I'm not ready to retire anyway. I mean, no, I, but I love what I'm doing, and I love what I'm doing. Um, it uses my skill set quite well, um, and I work with great people. <laughs> I love my teammates, yeah. uh, the other teams around us, and and all of that. And you know, it makes me feel like I'm actually contributing to the everything. It's it's nice. Yeah. That's actually one of the things I just love about Bloomberg and that and I'm not supposed to talk about Bloomberg, but it's like one of my friends, well Debbie, Deb, <laughs> we were at a thing at uh, at uh, Ginger's, we're at Ginger's. Oh yeah, I've been there. I mm -hmm. love Ginger's, it's a great place. We were sitting out back and, and I was prattling on about something from work and she elbowed me, he's like, you really drank that Kool-Aid, didn't you? <laughs> and I said, well, Deb, it's really good tasting Kool-Aid. <laughs> and she's like, fair enough. <laughs> you know, what can you say? But No, I mean, but, celebrate um, the things that are, that are good and working for you. So, Yeah, and I said, I'm, I'm very blessed in all the way that, that these things have come out and, and, you know, how it has transpired. And, mm. you know, it's... I mean, sure, sometimes I think back, oh, what if I, you know, this, or what if that, or whatever, but at the end of the day, if you're happy with where you are, you can't be unhappy with any of the steps it took you to get you there. Not really. 
you know? Individual, individually, some things may have really sucked, but if you're happy where you are, you know, even if it sucked, it got you here. And I, I try to keep that in mind. It's just like with this pain in my butt. I remember my grandmother lived to 99. My grandmother. <laughs> There's good in those genetics too. You know, um, trying to look at the bright side of things. Like quipping that it's literally a pain in my ass. I was like, at least I get to use the word literally. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so, so yeah. And I've had all kinds of little small world things besides the big one that I mentioned earlier. Um, but, um, but yeah, I have, I have no complaints about that. Really, all, of this, all that stuff that I've done before, because it got me where I'm at. Yeah. You know, I, I never in my wildest dreams, you'd told me, well, 12 years ago, <laughs> mm -hmm. that now I would be trans, you know, mostly transitioned and living in New York City and loving living in New York City. I told you you're crazy, you know, but, yeah. you know, now, yeah. <laughs> I guess not. Uh, <laughs> here you are. <laughs> here I am. And, and I, and I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with how, you know, you know, having managed to end up here. I don't know yeah. what the future will hold, but, you know, even though transness is not part of my identity, I feel kind of an obligation because the trouble is people fear what they don't understand. And so if you can spread some understanding to let people th see, like my mom was very relieved to see that I'm not coming back to town flamboyant in some, you know, uh, Carmen Miranda hat or some shit, you know. I'm just being me, right? And, you know, so she's got a much better view of what being trans is. Um, and I, I think that's what you got to do. you got to, you got to spread the knowledge. you got to let people understand and, and take the mystery out of things so that, uh, you know, with the understanding that that's how that's how you address it. Mm -hmm. You you gotta have the you gotta spread that understanding. And so if I can help that in any small way, you know, I feel like that's kind of a civic duty. Just like showing up for your, you know, jury duty and stuff like that. It's a civic duty, you know. You're part of, of helping society stay together. Mm -hmm. Um you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Just being a, a, a regular person. Yeah, just, you know. And I have, excuse me, I have uh, served on the grand jury at, in, back in Bradley County <laughs> many years ago. Very enlightening. I had no idea that kind of sick stuff went on in my little sleepy little town. Wow. Or at least not, not that much of it. Uh, the child abuse cases were astounding how many of those there were the only thing we really other than deciding whether or not you know because grand jury only decides whether or not it's worth going to trial mm -hmm. is it you know and you only hear the prosecution side you don't hear the defense you only hear prosecution you like, is there enough evidence to bother prosecuting this and the only thing we really had to decide of any import was there was one case it was um, uh, first degree versus second degree murder. Mm -hmm. And we figure that since the perpetrator had 
hid in the woods for four hours waiting on his victim to come down a trail, we figured that pretty well fit premeditated to us. So, you know. Sounds really interesting. Well, I mean, it, it is. And to see that side of it, um, you know, the assistant district attorney that, you know, we ended up working with, it just turned out I had known him before because he was also a ham radio operator. <laughs> and I met him ham fists and stuff, right? And he later became a judge and actually made some rulings I was uh, not real happy with, but he had kind of, by, towards the end of his tenure as a judge, he was starting to get a little out of hand and mm. build, build be too high and mighty behind the bench and recognized it and retired. But I'm glad he recognized it and retired rather than having Keep to be going. forced to be retired or something. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah. It's um, kind of crazy, but it's nice, sleepy little town, you know, knowing people and stuff. But on the other hand, I said I, I <laughs> love the turn city. the rock over, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> Some creepy crawlers to, under here. <laughs> I'd never been to New York before mm. until I came up for my interview. I'd never been to New York before. Had you ever like thought about it, like when you were no? Yeah. Never even crossed my mind. I, I Well, how it came about was um, I'd gotten the fourth pay cut from that pest control data systems. And uh, my wife was like, well, we were looking at filing bankruptcy. We were just, it was yeah. killing us. I'd lost 40% of my income. And um, my wife was like, it's time you got a big boy job, quote unquote. So I fixed up my resume and I put it on Monster one Friday night, like somewhere between 9 and 10 p.m., and the following Monday morning at 7 a.m., my cell phone rings with a New York number. And the first thing I wanted to know is that I'd really do all that crap on my resume. <laughs> and I quipped back because it was 7 a.m. and I hadn't had enough coffee yet. And I said, well, I did have to trim it down to fit two pages. And like, oh, well, then we want to talk to you. And, you know. Wow. And I, you know, end up at Bloomberg. But, wow. um, but um, It's cool how, like, life can just sort of... Yeah, it's just like that. Boom. Taliba Delaney was the was the gal that recruited me, and she worked for a third-party recruiting company. Mm -hmm. And she eventually, she now works for Amazon, mm -hmm. recruiting at Amazon. And she had pinged me a few years later on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, have you considered jumping ship and going to Amazon?" I'm like, "Nope, I'm happy with with Bloomberg. <laughs> Thanks." <laughs> and she's like, "Fair enough," <laughs> but. But yeah, she was she was real sweet about everything, and and I had, um, yeah, it was. And then little, how long was it between that offer and then you moving to New York? Like, well, that was in happened? September, and then the following June was when I accepted the okay. full time and, and moved up. And I had well, they had when I first was coming up to do the interview, they were. Uh, they were telling me the headhunter people were telling me they wanted me to do this homework and study for the Bloomberg exams, mm -hmm. right? Because they're going to trick you with some weird code, you know, weird code problems and stuff like that, and you have to study and prepare for this kind of thing. Um, and I was working a full-time job. I didn't have time for their crap. And, you know, the, their technical evaluator had already told me, say, hey, you ain't going to need 
this. <laughs> You're not going to need it, you know. But she got in my face when I came up for the interviews. You're not taking this seriously enough. I'm like, you know, and I'm like, look, if I can't go in there and nail that interview, me being me, then it's not the right job for me because it just isn't. I can't pretend to be, and I was pretending to be something I wasn't, but that's something else. You know, that was what I do all my life, right? But um, as it turns out, the very first one of those is two interviews for two different groups. Um, and one of them was basically an equivalent, not the same group I'm in now, but in the same general area, sort of, sort of, kind of. Um, the, the first one forgot to ask me a coding question. We got to talking and... You were so charming that they just... And they just didn't think about <laughs> it. And they left and came back and went, oh crap, we got to ask you. And I scribbled something down real quick and they were impressed and walked off with it. So, And then the second one, and I got offers from both of those interviews. Uh, the highest offer Bloomberg gave for a contractor at the time. And so the, the gal over there at, at uh, Genesis 10, the recruiting company, was like, wow, you got the highest, you, you know, you just set the record for the offer, you know. Wow. None of their other people had gotten that, that offer level. Um, and um, so when they came back and asked me, you want to take a full-time position, I thought about how much money I wanted, and padded it up a little bit and quoted that figure to them. And I was like, well, that's a little high. And I'm like, okay. Like, you consider anything lower? Nope. You know. And, you know, went about my business. And after uh, a couple times of asking, I got hauled in back over there to Genesis 10. You can't ask for that. Like, the hell I can't. I can ask for anything I want to. <laughs> you know, it's... <clears throat> my job, my decision. You can't ask for that. I'm sure she was afraid that they'd like give up on me. I was like, nah, they don't. Uh, then they came back and said, well, you know, we decided that's not quite so high after all. You, you know, and so I negotiated for the exact figure I actually wanted, and that's what I got. And the next time I ran into her in the hallways, uh, she had a gaggle of of, um, of interviewees in tow. Um, she showed me off to them. Said. This is our star, <laughs> highest starting offer they'd ever had, too. Wow. And, you know. Good for you. And, you know, and I was just being me, you know, basically, I, other than, you know, hiding about the fact I was trans. But once all that stuff was announced, and they, had a, they actually had a, a little talk with Human Resources, I think it was in 2016, talking about our trans benefits. And because I was a member of the Be Proud, you know, yeah. as a, you know, as an ally, uh, I got invited to, to go and sit on that. There was a wonderful talk by the then, uh, I don't know if she was the chair of the of the Python Software Foundation that year or the year before or something like that. But she does a lot of uh, Python talks, um, and um, and just so happens to, you know, which her her talk, this special talk besides the Python programming language training talks, was on, um, uh, on white male privilege. And um, that's when you found out that she was a trans woman. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so when she came back and I, I, you know, I talked with her after that, 
And, uh, you know, I kind of, I came out to her privately one-on-one and another mm -hmm. trans woman that worked there at the time uh, was talking with them and admitted to them there privately at her little table. But it wasn't until, you know, 2018 that actually came out, came out. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but it was, you know, knowing that that support was there mm -hmm. was what made it possible for me to do that, right? Totally. And, and our insurance, they said, you know, they warned us, like, you know, Bloomberg's insurance is special. It may be Blue Cross Blue Shield, but it's run by Bloomberg. So uh, the regular coverages don't count. So when I got the approval for my facial surgery, there's this long lawyer-speak preamble about this approval in no way constitutes, you know, acknowledgement that we normally do this, that we normally don't, but your employer made us. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing, because, you know, the insurance companies don't want to be on the hook for anything, right? Yeah. Uh, and at the time, they were even trying to dodge uh, financial responsibility for bottom surgery, too. They were trying to dodge it real hard. Yeah. But, uh, but Bloomberg was just covering everything on the, on the WPATH standards of care, which is how it should be. Yeah. You yes. know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And... I said, you know, it's a huge 70% of the profits of the company go to philanthropy. I mean, you know? Yeah. 90% of our garbage is composted out of our pantries, used for fertilizer in Central Park and places. I mean, you know, how can you not like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> As I said, Debbie says, you really drank that Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, as I said, it is, and the things that I've been able to get, the, the um, Corpus Delecti thing, mm -hmm. Bloomberg Philanthropy is one of the sponsors. And that's how Deb, Deb, Deb went with me to that. And that's where I picked up the card to, to contact you on this stuff. Oh, no way. I'd picked up a card earlier during the um, Queen's Pride Parade, okay. went by your little booth there mm -hmm. and misplaced it. <laughs> So when Deb and I went to the Corpus Delecti, it came and, back around. It came back around. <laughs> like, oh, the little card. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's go ahead and do this this time, not lose it. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was inspiring to hear you talk about just like wanting to talk about it to make it understandable and. Well, yeah, let people know. I mean, you know, share. You know. It's like I tell people. Uh, well, statistically speaking. There's roughly about the same number of trans people as there are people with red hair. Yeah. So you count the number of people you've met with red hair, and you've met at least that many trans people, whether you knew it or not. You know? I, I had one of my clients when I worked for that company in Tennessee was a trans woman. I heard what they said about her. That's one of the reasons why I didn't say anything around the office. Mm -hmm. Right, you kind of could tell, yeah, yeah. But now I did contact the office manager back down there, who's the owner's daughter-in-law, mm -hmm. uh, and told her I was transitioning and stuff because she did treat our trans client very well and gave them shit about miss, you know, saying bad things. Like, you can't do that. That's as a customer, for Christ's sake. Yeah. And um, and so I knew she wouldn't have any problem with it so I told her and I've seen her since too I stopped by the last time I was down and said hello that's nice so the business though has pretty much gone in the toilet 
because the other technical guy that was left there, he's really not all that, and he couldn't maintain my code. And they haven't done any maintenance on it in 11 years, and it's no longer compliant on a lot of things because they didn't keep it up to date. And I told him, I said, well, you know, if you want me to, I'll take some vacation time, and you can pay me to come here and fix it. It'll take me a couple weeks, and I'll be able to bring it all up to date, you know. But the, the guy said that that's still there said he'd quit if, if they had me do that. It's his problem. And there was another group that was going to buy the company, and I offered to help them, you know, get the girl that was going to be their engineer that was going to be working on it is a trans woman, too. And I thought that kind of came around full circle right nicely. Yeah. And uh, she wanted my blessing before she touched my code. And I'm like, hey, you got it, sister. Um, but uh, And hopefully I get to see her while I'm down there, too, in passing. We'll just see how schedules work. But... Um, but they ended up not buying the company because it turned out that that other guy there had um, had broken a bunch of uh, services and stuff that people were paying for. And they were still paying for the service, but they weren't getting it. And he just, like, didn't give a shit. And, uh, and you know, they're like, this is, has massive liability written all over it. We can't buy this company and, and, and uh, accept that liability. We yeah. just can't do it. So we'll buy the customers off of you. We'll buy everything but the name. And we'll even buy that for the same price as what we were going to pay for the whole thing, including the name. And they are offended that they wouldn't buy the company outright and kill the deal. And it's going to end up going under. Yeah. The owner passed away uh, just a few months ago which is how I, well actually not even that long, about a month ago. And that's how I know that, uh, because I, the, that other guy said, oh, I'm already buying the company. He said that last January. Mm -hmm. And the obituary said that, you know, the other guy still owned it, and no mention. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I figured you were full of crap. And I hate that because there's a lot of sweat equity in that. I mean, I have that that has like three different language compilers for three different languages I developed mm -hmm. that are built into that thing. Uh, and so many things, parts of that stuff that I'm very proud of because it was a significant engineering effort that went into it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a pity that it's just going to die on the vine because, yeah. We're number one market share now. It's like, they're like uh, got two percent of the market now. They've lost seven eighths of the customer base. They're really dying on that hill. Mm -hmm. And the the owner of the company told people after I left. Uh, of course, he told uh, when I first told him I was leaving. Oh, there's no company will take you. You're a shit employee. Blah, blah, blah. I just just gave me. I told me it was overpaid as it was. And I paid more in taxes last year than I grossed there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, and he said he told clients that any day now I'd be coming crawling back on my hands and knees begging for my old job back at half the salary he was paying me before. That's what he told them. Right, so <laughs> he sounds pretty sad. <laughs> well, he had a TV in his office tuned to Fox News on all the time, so that mm -hmm. should tell you. Fox News, full circle. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, his uh, wife had talked him into putting it in there because she used to have a beauty shop and she had the TV on on that channel all the time when she was in there cutting hair. Mm -hmm. And so when she gave up the beauty shop and started managing the, the pest control company, because um, he wanted to just concentrate on the computer company, because uh, they all said a pest control. Have you ever been to a Cracker Barrel? Yeah. That company serviced every Cracker Barrel in the whole United States out of Cleveland, Tennessee. Wow. Kid you not. Yeah, we used to stop at Cracker Barrels. My family and I would stop there. I've been to a lot of Cracker Barrels all over the place. The headquarters is Lebanon, Tennessee. I've been to the headquarters more than once, too. Wow. Um, but, yeah. Huh. How are you feeling? It's been a couple hours. Do you need anything? I'm all right. How, uh, how how are we doing on questions? you have any, uh, uh, what, what have I not hit? Well, you answered, let's see, you answered a lot of my questions just by talking, which was really nice. Um, oh, yay. I just got to notice that CVS has my prescriptions ready. Oh, perfect. <laughs> well, I think, I really feel like you've answered a lot of things, and it's impossible to ask you every single question. They're, right. They're just prompts, but um, I guess just if there's anything else that you'd want to add or um, if there's anything you feel that... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I... As I said, I, I'm involved in the PFLAG stuff just because it, you know, trying to help, you know, uh, especially the trans families thing, yeah. um, because I, I want to be a resource for those parents out there. You know, I admire that they are taking, you know, care of their children the way they are, and, yeah. you know, it, it matters to me to help that. Um, but I also like the idea, I want to be able to, I want to get fixed enough to be able to do this safe school stuff. I would love to see that expand outward in the country. Um, you know, it, it, it's illegal in Tennessee. <laughs> um, It'd be amazing if it wasn't, yeah. Right? I mean, but it's just what it's going to take. I mean, it needs to be demystified. And I'm, you know, it's like uh, the first year, well, really the... Uh, 2020 when we first went into the pandemic um, they had a poster up in the office and I didn't see it at first and we of course then we went out on <laughs> working from home for the pandemic but for the International Women's Day they had a poster up and I was joking that I was the token engineer because the other two people were in sales and, and I think sales and news or something and I was the only engineer on the but my face was on the International Women's Day poster oh, at Bloomberg wow. in our, all our offices. That's awesome. Which was kind of cool. It's but, really cool. Um, I mean, that's really cool. Like, yeah, yeah it was, that, was, <laughs> that was pretty cool. And Bloomberg invests a lot in the HMI, you know, Hedrick Martin Institute. Mm -hmm. And that's one of our volunteer opportunities. And um, one year I was able to get in enough hours. We have this dollar for your hours program. So... Uh, and I had done enough hours uh, serving food at HMI for the students there that uh, I was able to get the uh, donation. It, Bloomberg donates in your name money to 
compensate for those hours mm -hmm. to a charity of your choice, and mm -hmm. I picked Lambda Legal because they had handled my name change That's and right. wouldn't let me pay them anything for it. So <laughs> that was that was really sweet of them. My, here's a cool. Not many people can say this. I bet I go for my name change hearing, and um, and I'd missed all of Stonewall Fifty because I was recovering from my bottom surgery. So, you know, I, I looked at, at all the people from Bloomberg were piled up to photo ops at, uh, yeah. at the island there at, uh, at um, Roosevelt Island on mm -hmm. the steps. And I saw it from the cab going over the Queensboro Bridge heading home from the hospital with all my crap attached to me. Um, so I missed it for the very best of possible reasons of, of why to miss the Stonewall 50 stuff. but. And, uh, and a good friend, uh, John Tilly, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know who he is, he's a senior account rep at, uh, at Deutsche Bank. Mm -hmm. um, he rang the uh, either opening or closing bell at NICE for Stonewall 50, because he was head of open finance mm -hmm. at the time. Um, but the two days before my bottom surgery, uh, we had one of the gatherings at uh, um, the townhouse. You know where the townhouse is? It's a piano gay bar oh. on 58th Street. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's in between 2nd and 3rd Avenue. Uh -huh. Nondescript looking place. It's just a plaque on the wall that says the townhouse, right? Um, but uh, he gave me a glass of Patron <laughs> on his tab to celebrate it. Well, it's nice. I'm not really oh. supposed to have alcohol now, but, right, but okay. When in at the townhouse. <laughs> yeah, all right. So With John um, Tilly. Yeah, he's he's great. John's wonderful. I uh, actually I think I had a picture with him here somewhere that I had run across when I was digging through some crap here somewhere. We have you know various things at the office from time to time, and they'll do Polaroids and things. And uh, oh yeah, yep, that's John Tilly. Oh. So. You know, it's wonderful to work with such fantastic people. And it's just so positive to hear such a, you know, it's such great to work in a place where you feel that you can be so yourself. Like, well, yeah, so positive. Like that's. So I'm recovering from my bottom surgery, and they're yeah. like, "Oh, they've scheduled your name change hearing." So it's six weeks after the surgery. I go in there with carrying my donut pillow, <laughs> and it hurts real bad to sit down, you yeah. know, still. And um, and I'm I'm sitting there waiting, and there was a, a couple of I was really thrilled because some of the others waiting were teenagers, getting their names changed, which I thought was just fantastic, right? <laughs> yes, you know. And then they had parents and and relatives around supporting them, which was really great. And then they announced an emergency evacuation drill. And they had to evacuate the courtroom in the middle of this. And I was under strict doctor's orders, no steps, right? Mm. And the elevators are shut down. All there is is steps from the eighth floor. And I'm like, I can't do this, guys. So they closed up the courthouse, sealed it all up. I was left alone on the bench out in the hallway of the courtroom waiting while everybody else evacuated the building. <laughs> <laughs> and then they filtered back in and I got my name changed and 
what an experience. Right, I mean. It's like cosmic or something. Right, like, I mean, it's what? just, it's like, this crap always happens to me, right? It's just like. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I can't make. The world I, stops and you're, you're like, okay. Well, I've got a great imagination, but it ain't that good, right? I mean, it's just. <laughs> yeah, it's sci-fi and everything. And right. Then, like. It it's is all quiet, and you're in there, just like <laughs> alone in the courthouse. Yeah, it was really, it was <laughs> kind of weird. I, I, I'm just kind of, well, I laid down is what I did. I finally just kind of laid down on the bench. I was <laughs> like, oh, because it hurts so bad. Yeah. Uh, and I'd taken my pain meds, and I was still hurting so bad. And uh, and I see uh, some of the, sec one of the security people came by, uh, you know, looked down the hallway, and I kind of feebly waved at them, and they waved back at me and went back out of view again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I heard voices, and everybody comes filtering back in, so. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's just weird, crazy crap always happens to me. It's, it's you know, I always have <laughs> <It's cool. laughs> the bizarre things, but... <laughs> But yeah, it's it's been pretty cool. I've had a lot of memorable experiences along those lines and and stuff, and have lots of con stories and stuff too from you know from the convention. We had the great nuclear incident one year. What's that? <laughs> we actually have in our official rules. Um, I forget which rule number it is, either twelve or thirteen. That uh, it's mislabeling nuclear uh, containers as a felony. You know. A reminder from the fire mark, you know, office. Somebody they had a party. It was a publicity party uh, for I think a Worldcon bid in Atlanta or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they were serving a beverage they called nuclear waste, which was really just vodka and orange juice along with they had some dry ice in the bathtub. They mixed it in the bathtub, right? So they're bathtub booze, right? Um, and it's one of the traditional things, you know, science fiction conventions do. And to, you know, to publicize it, they were putting the fallout shelter symbol sticker, well, fallout shelter sticker on the badges. Right. And he stuck his on his drinking vessel, which was a length of PVC pipe. One end was sealed and the other end had a little screw-off cap. And he had a rope tied around it and they'd drink out of it and, you know, screw the cap back on and go to the next party. So um, late that night, he uh, went out to the, didn't have a room in the hotel, so he went across the parking garage across the street. And before getting in his car, the rope came loose and he lost his drinking vessel, rolled underneath the car next to him. He's like, yeah, screw it, I'll get it in the morning. So he goes to sleep it off. And while he's sleeping, that car leaves. And somebody comes walking along and sees this contain this canister here with a <laughs> fallout shelter, not an actual radioactive, but a fallout shelter sticker, assumed that meant radioactive and called emergency response. So they come in and cranes and all kinds of stuff and they finally, there's, we've got photos and I've got to find them while I'm down there because we've got the photo album at home somewhere <laughs> this. They got they they were lowering this down with a crane into the, the this bomb disposal vehicle, and it wouldn't fit. They couldn't get the lid down on it. So they they got this PVC sticking up with the lid kind of over like this, <laughs> driving it through Chattanooga on this treaded vehicle to take it somewhere to safely dispose of it. And they detonated it. Well, if it was radioactive, you just spread radioactivity all over everything. What were you thinking? But it. Uh, 
It turned out that the, when they were checked it with a Geiger counter, they're inside a concrete structure, so the background radiation is a lot higher from the concrete. And the idiots didn't think about that and just assumed, oh yes, it's hot. It's because you're inside concrete. That's you're hot because you're inside concrete. And it still wouldn't be enough for like correspondent with a chest x-ray, but they, they didn't have a lot of smarts. And so it made the McNeil error report of Chattanooga being the laughing stock of, oh I mean, it was just, goodness. and so they didn't take that too kindly. No. And the head of the emergency response people came in, wanted to know who that person was. They were filing federal charges on them but, and, and all this, threatened all of us directors that we were gonna be in trouble. Um, and um, one of my friends that was working security while they, all this was going on was trying to tell them, hey, look, I know what that is. I'll shut up and let the professionals deal with it. It's like, okay, fine. <laughs> trying to tell you, but... But uh, our publicity photos, because we lost our, uh, our contract with the hotel, they'd changed management. And the new hotel management screwed us over, didn't honor our room commitments, didn't honor just didn't honor anything, and just screwed us over on our contract. So we we're like, screw you, you violate. Like, oh, we don't have to honor it because that was made by the previous owners. Right. So we switched hotels, and our flyers was Chattacons on the move, and we had the truck moving with a mushroom cloud and a crater for the <laughs> hotel was. You know, we're going to have fun with it. But they made us put that rule in our in our oh rules. Oh, my gosh. That is crazy. And meanwhile, it's just vodka and orange juice. It's vodka and orange juice. <laughs> much, yeah. You well, know? <laughs> it, it's crazy. It really is. Well, I mean. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, what can you say? What can you say? Crazy stuff happens, I guess. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I, I love the area and all that. I just, I so wish, I so wish it was possible yeah. to safely move back there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I can I, hear that in what you're talking, the way you're talking about it. Yeah. And I just, you know, be nice. My well, Irwin, Tennessee, which is up in the middle of, you know, I said, you know, we have friends that live there. Yeah. They have fiber internet to their houses, like sixty something dollars a month for one gig up and down. Wow! And I mean, because it's the local power utility company uh -huh. supplying it, and they don't make a profit on it. You're just paying for the upstream bandwidth charges, and that's it. They put in smart meters, like we did here. Uh, you know, Con Ed put in smart meters everywhere, but all the utilities down there are nonprofit because it's Tennessee Valley Authority government. Mm -hmm you know, agency and stuff mm -hmm. like that. That's why electricity is so dirt cheap down there. It's like seven times more expensive here than it is there because here you have to pay high-paid CEOs and shareholders. Down there you don't. And that's what makes the difference. Wow. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Well, they don't want you to know that. Right. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, we've got to make sure these spillers can make their profit every year. Yeah. Do we really? Mm -hmm. Certain things I feel very strongly should not have a profit margin. Pharmaceuticals, medical care in general, it's not to say doctors don't deserve to get paid, they do. But just these big hospital conglomerates and the crap they pull, you know, it should not be profit margin in that. Um, utilities. Any public utilities that you can't do without, and nowadays that also includes internet, 
crazy as it may be, but mm -hmm. you can't you can't get along without some sort of connectivity anymore. Not really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those basic those basic necessities, those basic things. It is in society's best interests that the population be healthy, therefore they can be more productive, and well educated, so they can be more productive and more reasoned in their decisions and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, it's in government's best interest to let people die young and remain stupid, or at least the the peons, mm -hmm. and our education has gone very caste-based. Um, yeah, it just is. the the public The public schools in Tennessee now are being supplanted by the Christian schools, because now, as of the new law changes, uh, you can use your public school money for your private school instead, even though it's a Christian school and not really accredited. That doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as they fear the Lord. That was the argument I got into with our, both my kids, well, Eric not so much, but my daughter had mandatory prayer in her elementary school the whole time she was there. My son only had one year of it because the principal retired. But I, I locked horns with him. Uh, and, and uh, I mean, I kind of got in his face about it. And he said, my kids are going to, you know, fear the Lord because he was a pastor at a local church on the weekends. And he just, mandatory prayer. And you would be punished if you didn't participate. There was no moment of silence bullshit. It was a lead prayer. Hmm. And they made no, no bones about it. And I told him, I said, what happens if the Muslim family moves in here? You yeah. know? What would you do? I mean, then you're going to have a lawsuit on your hands and then you're going to be spending my taxpayer dollars defending your beliefs. And they, you shouldn't be using my taxpayer dollars to, you know. So we ended up being uh, investigated by Child Protective Services, and they just drug us through the coals, and it was just a bad scene. Wow. Because they were going to make sure that you... Comply. Comply. And when you go to PTA meetings and you want to talk about the education, oh, no, shut up, your only job is to earn money for the school, is promote money for the school, that's it. And we had to pay for everything. I mean, every every school year it was several hundred dollars out of our pocket to pay for all the school supplies. Mm -hmm. And not talking about the kids' school supplies. We had to pay for the teachers' supplies because they no longer funded that. That's so crazy. And we'd had a tax increase to fund that because they'd taken away the property taxes for it. And so we voted on a referendum for a temporary sales tax to benefit the schools. Uh, after the year was up, they retroactive, they went back and extended it permanently and redirected all the money to the general fund and voted themselves a pay increase equal to that amount of money and took the money back away from the schools. And there's some talk that it never even got there. And now then they started the lottery and uh, prior to them passing the lottery in Tennessee, they would arrest people they got coming back over the border from uh, Georgia with a lottery ticket because Tennessee maintains that if you break the law in some other Tennessee law in some other state they can still put you in prison for it. That's their argument on if you go to Colorado on vacation yeah. they t drug test you when you come back and if you test positive you're guilty of, of uh, drug use and they can put you in jail because obviously you must have had it in your possession if you tested positive. 
and Tennessee law applies globally if you're a Tennessee, you know, citizen. Yeah. And that's what they do. And, okay. and, you know, all the southern, it's not just Tennessee, it's yeah. all the southern states are doing that. It's every last one of them. And, um, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate that they're, that they do that. And they do it in the name of religion, which is, doesn't agree with anything that they taught me when I was being indoctrinated. <laughs> you know, you know, that's the thing that always gets me when they're like, you must learn to fear the Lord. What happened to the message of God is love? <laughs> doesn't seem to fit in with the yeah, fearing the Lord. It's like, <laughs> okay. yeah, I, I know. It's just like, <laughs> what? you know, it's like work out your, you know, your salvation through suffering. It's like, what? No. But that's what they do, you know? Yeah. And I got a friend of mine, my, my oldest friend. I met him in third grade. And unfortunately, he walked away due to my transition, not because he wanted to. He begged me to not transition because I was his last surviving male friend. Mm -hmm. And he, bless his heart, he showed up. I posted on Facebook that I was out for breakfast at my favorite little place to get biscuits and gravy back at home. And uh, he came in there and gave me a big hug and wished me all the best, and that was the last I saw him. Because his religion will not allow him to have a female friend. It's not allowed. Just not permitted at all. So he had to give me up as a friend because his religion would not permit him to keep me as a friend. And his father-in-law was head overseer for the state of Tennessee for the Church of God of Prophecy. And when he got ready to retire, because, you know, they don't get Social Security because they don't pay it in because they're clergy. Mm. And so it got time for him to retire, and so he retired, and he had nothing. And he's like, well, what about the pension plan? Well, it turns out the head of the church had embezzled it all. Oh, sorry. Out on the street. See, they provided him with a place to live, and that was gone because he was retired. So um, okay. they, they built onto their house for a place for his in-laws to stay. Uh, this is Murfreesboro, Tennessee, the place that had the uh, gay is illegal. Mm -hmm. Ordinance that just got rescinded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that same town. It's where he lives, and um, and yeah, they had to. Uh, and his his father-in-law worked as a greeter at Walmart to have enough money just to survive. Mm -hmm. And I just find that such a travesty that that sort of thing. But I mean, it just that's why I have very little use for those religions is because they they don't demonstrate any adherence to what they preach. And it's, I watch them preach about demon rum this and demon rum that, you know, alcohol is evil, and then, um, then they'll leave their sermon and go pick them up a six pack on their way home, and do it clandestinely. I watch the, uh, watch these guys come into the convenience store, throw cash at the clerk, and grab a paper bag from him, go over and stick their six pack in the bag and sneak off out, out with it, so nobody will see what they're doing. Remember, I think, you know, yeah. don't recognize each other in the liquor store. Right. Secrets. You know, um, 
lots of dry counties and that sort of thing there. My last parting shot kind of to, to Tennessee was the very last time I voted, I voted for the liquor store referendum and it passed 50.01%. The previous, it had failed, the, last, the previous time it had been up for a vote, it failed by at 49.9%. And I was so happy that I kicked it over the edge. I was one of the people that kicked it over. So less than, uh, it was less than 50 votes decided it. And yeah. And so that was a nice little parting shot. But that's Tennessee. Uh, that's the reason why Jack Daniels didn't have alcohol there because there weren't enough residents in the county to be able to have a referendum to have it. Because mm. uh, there's a certain minimum number of signatures you need. Um, and uh, Kentucky Bourbon County is dry, and Christian County is wet. Bourbon County is Bardstown, Kentucky, up in the middle of nowhere. Same problem that Jack Daniels had. There's not enough people to vote it. Tennessee changed the law because they were getting a lot of crap over it. Kentucky won't change their law, so it's still, mm -hmm. you know, still dry. Still dry, and they're like not even not even beer. I mean, absolutely no alcohol whatsoever within the county. You can go to jail for it. They still have stocks. Uh, there at Bardstown, and you still use them, actually, from what they told me. Mm -hmm. But um, the uh, Christian County is where uh, Hopkinsville, Kentucky is, right across the line from the big Clarksville military base. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and those military people ain't going to give up their alcohol, right? And so that's why they, they, they have a lot of military people that live across the line into Kentucky. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, tracks. Yeah, but I think it's ironic as all get out that Christian County is wet and Bourbon County is dry. <laughs> I you know. Just, it makes you, no can't, sense. Like, you can't make that crap up. I no, mean, you know. Literally. It's, it's hilarious. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's so much crap I've run into and so many small world things. That's such and irony. I mean, yeah. It's, it's really, really crazy all the stuff and, and, and everything that I've, you know, managed to just bump into. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah. Any, anything else we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we did it. I think we done did it. I mean, yeah. I asked you all of your questions. So, I guess. Cool. I guess we can close. <laughs> you can go get your prescription.